Welcome to Ben Navarro's podcast with your host, Ben Navarro's. Howdy and welcome back to the Ben Navarro's podcast. Today we have on Mr. David Shelton. And David and I met, uh, I guess, quite a little while ago. I mean, I guess he said he knew me from. Let me try to go past you here. Said he knew me from watching me lift quite a long time ago, and we met over in Nationals in Vegas here, just like about a month ago. USAPL Nationals, and we did some commentary together for the live stream. And so David's a USAPL power lifter, and I'm sure plenty more. I don't necessarily know all of who you are, David, um, so we're <laughs> also kind of getting to know each other, and I think that's the, the fun of this, and so that's part of the excitement. Like We get to have a, a genuine first-time conversation about what's going on, who you are, and, and where you're going in life, and so thanks for coming on on this Sunday. Tomorrow's July the 4th, so thanks for taking time to do this today, man. Oh, yeah. I, definitely happy to be here. Um, uh, you mentioned um, talking about how we met once before, but probably uh, you weren't aware that we were meeting. I think we met at a powerlifting meet, I think, in 2016, or it might have been twenty, even late 2015. It was definitely 2016, actually. And what we did was we were at a powerlifting meet. I think I was handling somebody, and... I literally distinctly remember uh, watching you lift, um, and as weird as it sounds, the only reason why I remember was because when you would lock out your deadlifts, I had never seen uh, somebody's leg lock out so fiercely in my life. And uh, of course, at the time, I had just gotten into competing. Uh, I had been lifting since late 2010, but I got into the competitive scene like late 2015, early 2016-ish for the USAPL. I did the uh, Winter Games of Texas uh, in January of 2016, and that's when I, you know, got everything started. So um, seeing a bunch of different kinds of lifters and, and things like that, yours really stuck out to me. Uh, it also six hockey all through uh, middle school and high school. Um when I started lifting, I couldn't even move my arms. Like I couldn't play basketball. I couldn't do anything. It was pretty. It's pretty weird. Uh, and I don't know. A lot of people have this weird thing where they start looking at their numbers like immediately, and they're like, "Oh, I'm so weak, and I have to like get this number to this and do all this type of stuff." For me, I wasn't thinking about any of that. I was just like, "Man, I can't shoot a basketball right now. <laughs> this is like like annoying almost." But because I played those other sports, and those other sports were were my main concern. Um, and you know, once I got to college, you know, I kept the habit up. Obviously, when I went to college, I I didn't, I still didn't understand what the gym was for me, and I just went based on pure habit. Uh, my first year, I went to Baylor University. Um, my dorm room had a weight room on the basement of of. Uh, on the base floor of it. So we, I would just go down there and do bench and arms, but I didn't kill it off as much. I, I definitely did not do what 
to do. That was way too much for me. Um, but I used to do some of that, and then then I would just uh, go back up to my room and study and do whatever. So it just became a habit. Uh, you got and it arms super jacked. Oh my! Definitely not jacked. Um, <laughs> also, by the way, this journey, 2010. By the way, I was five foot seven and about 125 pounds, and yeah. So I was really like stick skinny. Um, I was always very explosive, always good at the sports I played, by the way. It wasn't like I was middle of the pack. I was usually up towards the top of the pack in all of the sports that I did play. Um, The sports that I played just didn't require much physicality. Uh, I would say I could actually get away in ice hockey with just being fast and, and being in the right position. Um, you can knock someone off their skates. It doesn't matter how big you are if you're just at the right place at the right time. Because, um, you know, that's just kind of how it works. So basically, I just took advantage of a lot of the explosiveness and a lot of the speed that I had. And I just never really needed the physicality. Same thing with basketball. I just never needed it. I was just, I was usually like a wing. I never would, I would drive into the paint here and there, but I wouldn't really, I wouldn't use any physicality. So I just never, never was... Never thought I needed it. Uh, so most people get into lifting because they think they need to be strong for something or they need to push things. You see a lot of football players jump into it, wrestlers, things like that. But I never did any of that. So it's like, well, I don't need it. Um, well, what was, a lot of that. What was the huh? reason that you started then? If it's not to help out the sport and you had this like change, you're cutting your hair, you're doing all these things. Uh-huh. <laughs> Why? Why the gym? Like, why was that the, the the spot? Why was that? Why was that the thing you turned to? I think it was more just like a lucky time slash place type of thing where somebody who played football pushed me into it, and I just became a habit of sorts. And I didn't find any true meaning of it until um, you know continuing my story after two years. Uh, in total, right? This was early 2012. I got to around a double body weight bench. I got to 225 at around 150. It took me two years to do it because obviously I didn't know anything about anything and I was just running my head into the wall there at the gym, pushing it. Um, and I didn't really have a goal. So it, it just didn't matter. Uh, cause I was playing at that time, I picked up college ultimate. So I was playing ultimate. With the, with the Baylor team, and I was playing ultimate uh, in some of these leagues that were out at the time. And so that was my main concern. Uh, it was never the lifting. And so I got to round double body weight bench, and I was like, that's the coolest. Or no, no, that was one and a half times, 225 at 150. That was around one and a half times bench, um, uh, body weight bench. And that sort of got me thinking, okay, cool. Like this is really cool numbers game type of thing. (laughs) Um, but nothing really got serious until I, I realized that I could squat and deadlift and get my vertical up. That was huge to me, or I could be faster or I could use it to my advantage to to get stronger and, and stronger doesn't just mean pushing people around stronger means faster and then jumping higher and things like that. And and I never put the two together because anytime I would play a sport, I was already like either the fastest person on the field or just behind it. 
I was usually the fastest or covering the fastest person on the field. So I never thought of that as a thing that I needed to do. As weird as that sounds. And maybe I just didn't get enough to a competitive enough level that I had to get stronger. I had to jump higher to get to that level. But most of the play, like college ultimate play, most of that, you know, um, that hockey that I played, all that stuff, like it didn't, it, it didn't push me to any point where I thought I had to get better because I was usually able to use my own skill set and be fine. Um, so, but then I got to the point where I was like, okay, like if I can get it even better, I might as well. Um, that, that's, that's why I started squatting and deadlifting and doing a lot of that stuff. Um, and I mean, wow, that's, uh, after that, I got my vertical from, 29 inches to around a running 42 inch vertical. I don't know if you're familiar with like verticals and stuff, but I got my really high. It was pretty. Yeah. (laughs) And then I hit like that diminishing returns area where each, like every centimeter starts to be your last on the vertical. And, uh, the process of, uh, squatting and deadlifting and benching and just, becoming really, really strong was that process started to be more fun than actually going out and jumping or going out and shooting a basketball. I, I, I remember my last basketball game. I, I just was constantly getting frustrated with the fact that like I, it took me 30 minutes to find my shot back again because lifting in the weight room would make it really troublesome for me to find uh, any sort of precision whenever I would go in there. Uh, so then I'd warm up, I'd, I'd get my shot ready and then I'd go play and, and then I'd go play against a, a bunch of pickup league people who, even if you're faster, even if you're whatever, you can be as fast as you want. Someone can stick out their arm and clothesline you and you know, you're stuck. So it got more and more frustrating to, to play, uh, sports and it got more and more fun to, to go to the weight room and push myself because there was nobody else like in the way. Uh, as weird as that sounds. Um, but yeah, that, a lot of that stuff, like just slowly transformed its way into that. And, uh, it wasn't even like a purposeful thing. Like I've, I've actually looked back on it and been like my story of how I even got into this makes almost no sense. And it had literally everything to do with just saying yes at this time and saying like, you know, just making that right decision to like decide to go to the gym with my, with this buddy at the time, you know, just literally just deciding to do that. <laughs> it wasn't a, Oh, I'm a power lifter and I have to stack myself against all these other people. And I don't like this. And you know, all this stuff, it never happened like that for me. Um, and, and you know, you fast forward, uh, so like around 2015, late 2015, there were people like, oh, you should compete in powerlifting because you weigh 160 pounds, or I think I was 165 at the time. Um, I had around like a 475 squat. Uh, I had like a 350-ish bench already, and I was deadlifting. Deadlift is my demise. I had like a 515, 525 very ill done sumo deadlift, which I could probably do conventional as well at the time, like just as good. <laughs> and they were like, yeah, you should totally do this powerlifting thing because 
oh, you're so strong, you should do that. And then, and then that's how I got egged into doing that. I didn't even, I didn't even go into that with a purpose. It made no sense. Um, but again, few buddies were going in to go to a competition and okay, David's going to go do a, a competition. I think it was a USPA. It was October 2015, and it was like uh, Ross Shreve's Classic in Texas. Um, I think it was in Frisco or something like that, Carrollton. It was in one of those cities. It wasn't even far away. Uh, did a 24-hour weigh-in, uh, and I almost cramped myself up and died <laughs> for my third deadlift because I didn't know about how to handle myself at a competition. It was very rough. That was one of the roughest experiences I've had um, because I, I didn't know about cramping. Like, I didn't know <laughs> and uh, was, like, laying on the floor. And someone was like, oh, Pedialyte. And I was like, oh, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> Hindsight's <laughs> nice Yeah. So that's a little bit about me. But, I, yeah, just maybe just a little bit. I mean, quite, quite organic. I mean, yeah. Kind of neat. I mean, I feel like there's always, I don't know, I have this idea that I think it's rammed in our, our throats and put it in our faces. Like, you have to have, always have an intention. And a lot of times I, I try to approach things with always having an intention. The name of my company is called IE Health. And part of the reason I chose IE was because I, I like intentionally executing things, right? And though that is true, I feel like I have a very similar story to falling into power. And it was, I said yes. So I was like, I, I just loved, I just liked going to the gym. I just grew up in the gym and then happened to really like it. And they're like, well, you're kind of strong, maybe you should go lift. I'm like, all right, sure, why not, you know? Um, and then enjoyed it enough to stick with it. And then you're right, it was just a habit. And so I wonder how much of, how much do we get in our way with thinking like we have to actually have an intention versus just living life and being in the moment and just saying yes to things. Or, you know, like, if, if, Sure, why not? You know, you don't know what's going to happen, and I think there's usually beautiful things that come of it. I mean, you're you're still here today. Is it still through habit that you're here? Oh well, it's become a lot more discipline now, uh, habitual discipline, and the understanding of that I have done this for a long time, and it always it'll always come back and and give back to me uh, at a certain point. So if I have an injury or I'm just not where I'm supposed to be or things like that, I still go in a lot of the, like I said, the reason why is because things always have a way of coming back around for the better. Um, and it's, it's kind of like just being bought into the, the entire process that, that got you going. Um, a lot of that stuff is, it's more intrinsic. I would say there's, there's still no, uh, external, uh, thing that's kind of keeping me going with this. Um, if there was any external stuff, it would be more just like, say I coach a certain amount of people now, the external motivation would be to continue to do the thing that a lot of the people that see me do it, the people that I coach, you know, just, uh, that would be, I guess the only external thing is, is so that the people that I teach can, can at least have something to see or to understand more about, um, because I think that pretty big role, uh, in, um, I guess, developmental process for some of these younger lifters, but 
Yeah, man, saying yes, you're totally right. Um, I think that's actually one of the um, that's one of the things that I a lot of these powerlifters these days have a lot of trouble with that I've seen is they they kind of go in with this almost forced nature about it because there's so many people doing it now and there's so many there's so much well, what we call pressure and uh, things like that and uh, I don't know I just have I have a lot of trouble relating to some of some of that stuff because of again how I got it going and how like you said it's it was pretty organic it didn't really um, it didn't come about in a way that was uh, uh, forced in a sense so um, I think I'm gonna, I'm gonna t- I mean that's a, a good I think thing to take away from this that I mean I just was not expecting I was kind of expecting like this was like the thing you know like like, like I don't know I was expecting like this was you had the intention of making it to the national platform and like doing the whole thing it was like I was just kind of hanging out and enjoying my time you know uh, and I think that it's still like being a kid in a way and still just having fun with whatever you're doing and if it ends up leading to something bigger like now you now you have people that you're leading and being the coach it's it's that's huge, you know, and it's just like oh, I, I think it makes you into a better coach because you learned it intrinsically, and now you can tell somebody, hey, this is why you want to do this, and then how to coach them through that movement, not just the movement itself, but then understanding what they're going through in the moment of I'm um, I'm struggling, I'm I'm frustrated, it's hard, and it's like I know I've been there, like. Like I know, ten times over, like, I've done this for years now. I, I get it, you know, and it makes you into a better, a better coach. It's only like you can relate a lot, a lot nicer. How long have you been coaching? So I've been coaching since still some of my earliest uh, athletes and/or influences are from around 2015, 2016. Um, I've been, I don't know, I've always been kind of like that guy at the gym where if if somebody asks a question, I don't, I'm not kind of like shut out to myself. I'm sort of like, I sort of almost want to help type of thing. If I see something that's like, um, say dangerous or something like that, which at the time that college gym was full of that kind of stuff. Um, like I, I always kind of had like an eye for wanting to wanting to assist, uh, not even on, not even like, on purpose, just more on if someone asks, I'll, I'll try my best to get to get the actual answer and and get somebody along their way. Um, and and that and the coaching thing, as wild as it sounds, was also extremely organic because when I was at the college gym, I ended up being one of the only like powerlifters because at the time powerlifting was like starting to go up. And, and the, the raw lifting really started appearing, uh, around that time. And there were people just asking me like, how do you go so heavy so often? Like, how are you not hurt? Um, (laughs) and then like, more importantly, like, how are you doing this? Like, how is that even a thing? It makes no sense because, uh, at the time the college, the college lifting scene was, was mostly like people that would go heavy way too often and then either hurt themselves or bodybuilders. (laughs) So there wasn't really an in-between. There wasn't, there wasn't a class of powerlifters we would call. 
um, because it was still a relatively nuanced like thing, as weird as it sounds, even in, in uh, you know the years of 2012 and, and 2015. It was still slowly up and coming. Um, the only YouTubes we had, I think it was like Candido was a pioneer. Omar Esau was like pioneer. Pete Rubish was deadlifting with his dish with his uh, washing machines behind him, things like that. Dan Green was over here yanking the bar as hard as he could. I <laughs> I definitely tried that. Uh, <laughs> we all kind of did, you know. Absolutely, and uh, you know, like that was sort of the scene back then, and. So what happened as a result, though, was that there were a lot of people asking questions because I was the only person seemingly that was even just in tune with it. Um, but the coaching thing started to happen when I was like, well, OK, I've been helping you with every aspect of your lift now. Um, like even incidentally, like people would just ask me about almost everything because I was just at the gym that often. Um, I even worked at the college gym for, for, for three of those years. So um, I just got a lot of questions and I got a lot of exposure to people asking me different types of things. So I had to learn how to, one, be better at answering those things because like, it's hard to be just innately good at answering people's questions, especially when you're a mechanical engineering major who literally is like pretty antisocial for the most part. Um, like, so I slowly got, you know, better at answering questions, slowly came out of my shell as like a social person, we would call it. Um, you know, powerlifting actually helped me get get more social in, in, a, in a certain sense. Um, but then the coaching as well ended up happening organically. And it, it was just like, oh, if you're helping me with this, this, this and this and this, I might as well just write the numbers out for you and see, see if that's. Uh, see if I can really make a bigger difference because I started realizing that that was the missing piece. Like I could help you with your form. I could help you with all these things, but if we don't progress the numbers in a certain way, then you don't get anywhere either. It's the missing link in a sense at the time. So I started doing that for two or three people uh, after that. And I wasn't even charging them. I, I think I remember for the whole first year Whoops, I didn't charge anybody for anything. I just, again, wanted to help. Uh, and, I, and I almost wanted to prove that I could also manipulate the numbers and also be good at that. <laughs> so it was a fun little experiment. And uh, there were a lot of people that put their trust in me to, for me to try that. And uh, so the process ended up being really organic. I, I, remember, I remember getting to my last year of college and being, Mean like, man, I should probably like I'm running out of some time here. Should probably start charging a little bit. Was charging maybe I remember getting to like around ten dollars a week. I think it was forty dollars a month, and just being like, it's not even about that. It's just more about you know just being paid for this time that I'm spending because at the time these athletes, I would travel to their meets. I would do all this stuff for them, and. uh they're like, well, I'm paying you. It's like, yeah, you paid for my gas on the way there and on the way back to the meet. What about all the hour technique sessions? What about all the advice? What about all the communication? All that stuff. All that stuff that is 
technically known as value now. I was just doing just because. Um, so now these days, you know, you'll be lucky to get a really high level coach that actually messages you back within the hour um, <laughs> or within the day. Some of them are even weekly. Some of them are, and they'll, you'll be paying them upwards of 200 a month. So times have changed for sure. And uh, the, the value that I offered back then was, was far greater than, than I, than I had originally realized. I just did it because I wanted to. Um, when you're in the moment, it's hard to realize that, and it's also it's really hard. It's really hard to it was really hard to grasp learning how to sell it. Like I'm like, wait, what? I, I, I'm supposed to make money off of this? This is, this is <laughs> how does that work? I just want to make yeah. you, like move well. Can you just help your squat? Like, because if you continue to squat like that, then you're gonna get hurt one day, and that's not gonna be okay. And so, like, I have this knowledge. It's gonna take me not even five to ten minutes. Give you some free advice, real quick. You know, like I had such a hard time first starting personal training. We would, we would. I got in trouble when I first started working at Gold because I couldn't take, I couldn't do a one-hour session with a client. I was like one-hour, two-hour sessions, and they paid for the one hour. And I was like, I don't really yep. care that you only pay for one hour. We need to work on some stuff. It's going to take us thirty minutes to warm up. We're going to talk. I'm going to educate on you why. And then we're going to start our training. In the middle of training, we're going to make some adjustments and, and, and become the two-hour session. And they were like, hey, you, you can't be doing that anymore. Like, but, but that's like the way it's supposed to be done. What are you talking about? It was such a, a hard – and now I do the one-hour sessions. But it's I still feel like the right way to do it would be an hour to an hour and a half to two hours ideally, you know? But it's yeah. – well, the, the, the thing about, you know, training and, and personal training especially is like getting to know uh, the person that you're training is a big deal. Asking them why they're doing things and finding out their why, that not only helps them to realize their why, but it actually helps you as a coach to understand what they're doing. And it, it can actually help your teaching process when you understand more things about them. Um, and and as far as like spending an hour or two hours or whatnot, like I do the same thing even now. I don't um, like the limit. They don't I don't I don't have a company telling me to do an hour. Uh, what, what I usually do is I just say, we're going to figure out this. We're going to figure out this part of your squat. It's either going to take five minutes or it's, it's going to take longer. And uh, <laughs> um, I definitely am a fan of just say getting the process done or getting what we went to go in to do done, whether or not it takes five minutes or whether or not it takes 30. Um, I've narrowed down that process to something along the lines of if I can't figure out one aspect of what we're trying to do, or I can't help you to figure out something in about five minutes, it usually becomes unproductive after about five minutes. Um, that's what I've learned with the powerlifting movements at least is if I teach something and it's not clicking after about three to five minutes, then we'll be at 30 minutes and it'll still be the same thing. So um, I've, I've definitely optimized that process um, more in a sense of like uh, speed of it is, is less important than understanding it. And with powerlifting, if you can't minimize it down to like three to five minutes understanding, then I need to find a better way to say it. Or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. 
So, um, Do you practice better ways of saying things with intention, or is it like you just you're, you're trying stuff, you or like you watch videos and then take from other people? I feel like I've always I've wanted to be more creative in the way I tell someone like how to how to I always say like split the ground in half, right? Like you like you put it like a piece of paper, you try to like whip the ground in half, and it creates some tension. You're externally look at those knees. But I'm sure there's other ways to say it. I just, I don't know. It's just the way it's worked for me, and most people will get that. Do you, is it organic or is it intentional with the way you cue? Well, the thing is, like, I'll something that I think is really simple. Like, if I know their why and I know their sports background or I know something about how they moved in the past, I'll actually try and relate it to something that they've done in the past. Um, but say, for example, spreading the ground, right? I've noticed with a lot of people, if I just put something under their feet, that they're just way more aware of what's going on, and and then they figure it out ten times faster. Um, I've seen I've seen all just all sorts of things, and what what's happening is is it's just me figuring out another way to do the same thing, and having the bigger that toolbox is for doing that makes that process faster and faster because then you can really cut to the chase with what they're looking for and what they're trying to find. And it's, it's more give or take. It's not even on purpose. It's just more, it becomes almost like a communication skill, I would say, because, um, like I tell people all the time, for example, all these questions that people keep asking about powerlifting, they're all the same questions. If you look on YouTube, it's literally the same saturated content like of how to do the same thing. Just the verbiage is just a little bit different. And, and, and that's why I think that I've figured out a million ways to say it is because I've heard a million ways to say the same thing. And then I've taught the same thing like a million different ways. So, so the bank is, is pretty big on, on how to, how to communicate it. And, um, to me, communicating effectively as a coach is literally your number one asset. It doesn't matter how much you lift. It doesn't matter anything. It's all about being able to make the person understand. So when you're communicating with them, you can tell when, they're, when their mind gets confused. Um, you, can, you can tell. It, it, it's, it's all, it all comes down to communication. Like That's what I figured out. And uh, co- coaching is not... Um, like that's the prerequisite. That's like literally the baseline of coaching in general. Uh, from there, I mean, the opportunities are essentially endless. Um, so, I mean, there's just you, there was a I feel like there was a study a long time ago. Where like the like you have a partner and you're trying to tell them how to make a peanut butter jelly sandwich, right? And that, like trying to tell them, hey, okay, you're gonna get two pieces of bread. And you, you pick up on all these like little nuanced things in, 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 in that communication process and if you don't if you can't tell someone with weight on their back or even before before you get any weight on their back but just going through the process it's like and then how often like how much information can you give someone some people take information really really well some people are very awesome at, at getting kinesthetic cues others are more verbal others are more verbal right and so understanding the person that you're working with and then their type of communication style going to change it's going to change the way you coach that movement right i'm going to tell someone knees out versus split the ground in half or just hey i just need your knees to go this way right all yeah. the different cues but all the same thing and i never really realized that all of it really is the same stuff 
It, I just it, it, whatever clicked. It, yeah, uh, and and so it's it's good that you mentioned uh, verbal. Uh, there's another one that's really big that I've noticed worked really well for a lot of people. There's a lot of so there's two main types I would say of people as far as learning goes, and you've got the people that take instructions, and then you've got the people that are what what I call visual learners. So visually, if I show them what they're supposed to do with their leg, or if I visually show them what they're supposed to do with their torso or whatnot, they're like, oh, monkey see, monkey do. I can just, I just do this. And then I'm like, okay, not only do you do this, but you need to feel this. So with the visual learners and both the verbal learners, I tell them what they're supposed to feel as a result of that. Um, and relating the feeling with the visual and the verbal is what ties it all together. So some people just are more verbal than others, and some people are just a lot more visual. I've personally noticed that most people are visual. Like uh, the amount of times where I'll try and explain something, and it we're three minutes, four minutes down, and their their eyes are still kind of darting around like they have no idea what's going on. And then I just say, oh, just do this. And then they're like, and or visually, and they're like, oh, that? Yeah, okay, let's do that. The <laughs> uh, so visual really cuts the chase for for great majority of, of the people that that I've personally dealt with. Um, that to feeling, I mean, that, that what you're teaching that individual, I think that they don't entirely realize, and I, mean, I didn't realize, and RPEs and, and telling people the feeling, that, that level of proprioception and self-awareness, I think... Is not just physically, like in your body in the gym, but it, I think it transfers to, to life. Like, where's my car? You know, like when I'm backing up, who's around me? You know, like little things like that. Being more considerate of, of looking at your surroundings, understanding where you are in your place and time, right? Appropriate reception, understanding where your body is in place and time. Like that, that value you add to somebody's life for the long term is insane. And I think it's just super valuable. I like that a lot. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I've seen for sure this this gym stuff definitely uh, wouldn't even say leak, but it just kind of turns in you. You almost turn into the the person uh, that you are in the gym, or the developmental aspects that you gain from the gym. They immediately start to appear uh, in your life, um, and and I've seen this so much, especially in the last four or five years, um, where I'll have an app for you know, multiple year spans. Um, when you first meet the athlete, they're, they're of a certain thing. They have, everyone has small shortcomings in their form, small shortcomings in how they make decisions. Uh, some people are more emotional than others. Some people are way more logical than others. And you find yourself actually realizing that the thing that gets them the strongest is finding almost those gaps in it's not even it's it's not even in the lifting. It's almost like in their actual life where they where they don't take a step to do something, they always find themselves not taking that step also in the gym <laughs> or things like that. Like they'll literally it starts to leak through itself. And you can actually if you spend enough time in the gym around the same person, which, you know, I go to a powerlifting gym, so I see the same people over and over again. You can literally pick up on their mannerisms and realize that almost what they do inside of the gym is 
almost dictating what they tend to do in real life. And it's, it's pretty funny. Uh, it's pretty funny to, to, to notice the parallels. Totally. I'm going to, I'm going to be more conscious of, you know, I'm looking back on my own life and I feel like these last couple of years, it's been more of like more wishy-washy, a lot of transition, trying to figure stuff out. I'm going, going from one industry to another industry and then trying to figure out, okay, am I going to move here? Am I going to go there? Am I going to do this? Or am I going to do that? And like, same thing with the gym. Well, I don't know if the gym is the, 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 the preface and then the, the life is the latter or vice versa, mm-hmm. but I'm like, okay, well, I'm also not being able. I'm not, I'm not committing to a sport. Am I going to do powerlifting? Am I going to do jujitsu? Am I going to do MMA? Or uh, am I going to do uh, CrossFit? Like, which of all of these items am I going to do? And the same kind of goes for what's going on in my life. It's like there's all these opportunities in life. Which one am I going to commit myself to? So that's that's a really cool. Like, I never again never really thought about that parallel. But I'm going to be more conscious of who else I'm going to see and like. Oh, okay, like this is this tends to be more true and is it going to be true for everyone no but it's the way that you carry yourself what and i think one of the guys that i met he he talks about what is your standard and one day that's before our conversation it was i I was looking at my at my bed and i I hate doing laundry i absolutely hate it but you're not yeah right (laughs) not alone a hell of a lot of people everyone hates doing laundry and so i would walk up and look at my bed and be like, ah, oh, man, I'll just do it tomorrow. And I'd get dressed just off of the bed in the mornings, right? And there was one night where I was just looking at my bed, and I was going to sleep on my clothes again. And I was like, man, this is the standard of living that I'm willing to live, like, let myself live with? This isn't okay anymore. Like, like if that is the standard I live with, and this is what my house is, I'm willing to let my house look like, then that says something about who I am, my 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 values, my morals, like where I'm at. Okay, like let's shut up, let's go, let's get up and let's just do the damn laundry. Just put it away. It's not that hard. And carrying that, like that idea of just what is your standard in your life? And it just applies, I think, everywhere. Right? What is the standard of your relationships, of your financial status, of where you spend your money, right? Or what you're going to do in the gym. It's, It's everywhere. Yeah, no, for sure. And and the thing is, like, like, like you said, you can actually ask somebody like what they're doing with the gym or what they want to do with the gym. And and you'll find out maybe in a commercial gym setting, you'll find out more about why they're there. And they they simply want to look better or they want they want to have a more healthy lifestyle or things like that. And um, but in a powerlifting gym, it's like it's very interesting to see. Because the commonality, right, is everyone wants to get stronger. But what happens is, is how each of these people goes about it is all different. And that's what almost creates that difference, right? Because we're all, because the thing is, I've told all my athletes before, I'm like, say your person A and person B are the same strength level, right? And y'all two both put in four hours at the gym or whatever. Y'all are all putting in X amount of work. Work is the bare minimum. <laughs> so it's like, oh, I'm going to outwork this person. And it's like, sorry, everybody in here is working that hard. So what's the real difference, right? And and you're talking about uh, uh, putting the clothes back where they belong and things like that. You'd be surprised how many people just don't do their accessories. You'd be surprised how many people are just sort of half 
doing their reps. They have no intention with with what they're doing, right? And so everybody has to put away their laundry, right? There's almost a certain point where in the gym you can find people's laundry lists of things that they're missing. And it, it's the same thing. It's, it's the same concept. Um, and you'd be surprised that, you know, like I said, some of this stuff leaks into daily life and stuff like that. You're willing to let go of this part of your program. You're also willing to let go of things in your life whenever it comes to decision-making of some sort. Um, I personally think that laundry is a uh, bad example, but that's just me because right now my bed definitely has laundry on it. Uh, <laughs> but, and that's the thing, right? So, cause, cause life sort of hits and you're just like, man, but, but see on that same level, right. Also being going to the gym and having a lot of laundry. That's the other thing. Um, or it almost becomes a, a daunting task to a certain extent. Um, and, and then I also live with my girlfriend. So then the stack is about double as high. Uh, so it's even more daunting. Um, I've actually considered just getting a larger, uh, what do we call it? One of those larger baskets because we both had baskets, but I think we need just one really large basket. Um, but yeah, that, that's just a side thing. Uh, definitely there as a people watcher, I'm, I, I tend to just do that. I don't even do it on purpose. Uh, you notice kind of, kind of the things that, uh, people do to get around things or you notice kind of the well, little idiosyncrasies, that, uh, as you would call it, I guess that everybody has. And part of my coaching process is actually figuring those things out because you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised the amount of progress people make whenever you just start helping them cover some of those things. Um, had a, had a guy, for example, when he started with me, uh, he had an online coach from Australia and the guy, I guess on paper was a good coach, but being that far away, you have no idea uh, like what the guy does. Like what, what are his, what are these little things that you can't see online? And, you know, you come to find out he has insomnia and he has all this anxiety because he has to wake up at eight or nine o'clock in the morning and the dude gets like three hours of sleep. We, we prioritize starting to get sleep and the dude's deadlift goes up like a hundred pounds in half a year or less. I think it was like almost five months. Like it took, yeah, but it's because he literally started sleeping. <laughs> Nothing like, you know, it, and we're talking, he went from a 500 deadlift to a 600 deadlift. We're, we're not about 300 or 400. He went from a 500 deadlift to a 600 deadlift. And literally the biggest thing, because people were asking, they're like, how did his deadlift go up that much? And I was like, dude, he went from sleeping like two or three hours and waking up in the middle of the night and doing all this stuff to just figuring some aspect of that out and like recovering. You'd be surprised what a really long armed lifter can do on his deadlift when he sleeps, like things like that. Um, so solving some of these little things is, is what really can make the biggest difference. Um, you know, like every athlete is a little different and every athlete has something that they're, that's really clogging up that whole line. <laughs> um, 
So I don't know. Holistic coach, and I think that's that's really neat. I don't think you see that a lot. I think that's what's ma- that's what makes a good coach a good coach. Understanding all the little pieces of what's going on, and then navigating how am I going to write training. Because training is just one aspect of it, but it's so much more complicated than just training. It's your food, it's your sleep, it's the stress in your daily life, your relationships. The stress is stress. The body doesn't understand what does not differentiate. Stress is stress, and so if you can't, if your life is stressful and you're trying to train on those same days that you're, you know, if you're if you're an ER doc or an ER nurse and you're you're trying to train at the very end of that day. It's going to be pretty tough. You should probably wait until the, the, you know, the four days that you have off. And just learning how to program those things is just going to make use of their life to make the best use of their, of their lifestyle and with their goal, right? Yeah, of course. We'll get, we'll get the person schedule and we'll be like, okay, which days do you sleep the most? Which days do you have the most time to recover? We'll usually put the heavy days there. Um, and then I'll just space everything else around it. Um, the only constraint to that is, of course, meets tend to happen on Saturday. So I tell them, I'm like, okay, if possible, which, you know, it happens to be that most people are off and have the most rest close to Saturday anyway. So it's convenient. But sometimes, like the same thing, like you said, nurse, and like you said, uh, some of those type of schedules, those are like eight-hour shifts, 12-hour shifts. Uh, even 16-hour shifts, I've heard uh, that, that they'll do, and sometimes their strong day ends up being on a Tuesday or a Wednesday because because it lands. And uh, nutrition is the same way, actually. Um, I have a a guy that helps me with my nutrition for athletes, and the reason why I don't also do the nutrition along with it is because nutrition is actually pretty in-depth thing as well. It's almost like a second job as well um, because you'll get your macros and whatnot and you'll get everything, but there has to be an eye on how the training is going to reflection of how the actual um, nutrition is going. So for example, people that are cutting, right? I have a lot of athletes that are able to drop weight classes while keeping their strength. And a lot of the reason why is because they pick up with this nutrition guy that I have, and he literally puts your macros where they need to be on certain days while still allowing for the less calories and for the cut and for all whatnot on the other days. Um, He has them do their steps, things like that. Steps are really crucial, by the way, in that whole process. Fiber is a really big thing in that process. And um, a lot of of the things that just... just, uh, People don't think about, I guess, what we would call it. Um, integrating all of that together in your training is is how you get that result. And um, so I've had quite a few successful athletes as a result. And it, it's the process. is is It's just the process of paying attention to the outside stuff. It's a, like you said, it's not just training. It's There's so much that goes on. And you want, you want to talk about being a really good lifter. You really got to start paying attention to those little things because again x amount x guy is literally going to be working out eight hours just as much as you're working out eight hours that person's putting in just as much work as you are and it's almost like who's going to get hurt first or who's gonna uh figure out something (laughs) about their lift you know who's gonna do that and that's really ends up being the difference maker in in the whole thing because working hard is simply just not enough in a competitive atmosphere 
um, like you can go to a commercial gym all you want and just outwork the people that go there because, of course, that person's only going in there for an hour. Problem is, is a uh, competitive powerlifter is going to spend all the time that they need to get the volume that they need done. They go to these 24-hour gyms that have AC inside of them, and they're like, I'll be here in here until I get the work done. I'll get the work done no matter what. So that's your competition. And <laughs> so the problem with that is, is if you're not on your game and you're not cognizant of all the things that are in your game, you're going to have a lot of trouble uh, whenever when the test comes, we would say. Um, because as an athlete, like part, part of the things that, for example, I like about coaching is showing people the process and showing them making it interesting, making it not just squatting, benching and deadlifting, you know, like having all the aspects under control. It really is a beautiful picture when you get it going. Uh, and a lot of, a lot of my athletes really like the fact that they're able to control all these variables. And when they control all those variables, just right, you know, you start to lift and you're like, man, I feel so powerful, but it's because of this, 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 and this, and it's, it's a little exciting. So, uh, make it a little bit more, well, what would we call less boring? <laughs> um, yes, more fun, more fun, more things. I, I like, I don't know, I've always liked the idea of not, of having all this volume, and yes, my, my for powerlifters, my focus is always going to be the, the big three movements, but what I get a lot of satisfaction out of is getting someone to into the gym, especially if they're, it's not like in their first program, they're like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm always sore, I'm killing it in the gym, but I'm just not seeing the progress, and like, alright, well, let's go to, let's, let's get some, let's get on something, and they're like, I'm not, I'm not sore, you know, people are saying, they're like, I'm, I'm still not sore at all, but I'm seeing a lot of progress, and I don't feel like shit, and it's kind of weird. Like, what? Shouldn't I be sore? It's like, well, no, we should. We don't have to be. We should just have enough adaptation, enough stimulus to create adaptation that you can yeah. recover from. Because I can give you a hell of a stimulus. You know, oh, uh, no recovery. And then what's the what's the goal? Yeah. And, and see, that's actually one of the classic things. Is uh, I call it trying too hard. Um, they, they, people come in and they try way too hard and <laughs> the amount of times that uh, that that people tie soreness or to making progress um, it, it's just you can be as sore as you want but if you can't come back the next day or the day after that to be productive then you know you're, you're not going to get anywhere because you're going to exhaust yourself for one day and you won't be back till Saturday because your stuff didn't stop hurting until Saturday, you know? <laughs> this is a long and, game. It's not a short game. It's not about how much I can yeah. get done today. It's how much I can get done in the next couple of years. And right. I remember, like, when I first started doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I was going two, days, two, two, three days a week, and the guy I was working for, he was like, Man, what are you what are you trying to do? Like, are you trying to get? Are you trying to be a black belt? Like, you you need to be going like five days a week. It's like I'm gonna get there. Like, yeah, I'll get there. I don't need to be there five days a week. I'm also lifting, so I'm gonna try to make sure that I can do both things, still have fun in this one, and then do this other one for the next thirty years. I'm not here for a year to get a, a black belt in five years. I'm here for as long as it takes, man. Like, if it takes me thirty years, it takes me thirty years, but. Everything is a long game, and I'm a patient guy. So, like, we, we can fucking make this work. And I like the idea. And I, I think patience really is a virtue, right? Patience is a difficult <laughs> thing to 
to understand, but I think in where I learned it the best was in the gym, kind of in a weird way. Because initially, I had a lot of success in the gym. I, I mean, I should, and I and I say that, but I started lifting when I was really, really young. So then I started lifting, like going to the gym with my dad and lifting the the five pound weights and went like that. I'm not five, six years old, and grew up in the gym. Wow. I remember getting into seventh, eighth grade and being around all these kids who have been playing. Like they were like the, in my perception, like the prep kids, the ones that went to go play like the, the, uh, what is it called? Like little league sports and stuff. And I didn't have that background and everyone was lifting so much more than me. And it was so defeating, like watching people lift 185 when I'm over here with 25 pounds on the bar, but I continued every single day, didn't stop, didn't quit. And then ultimately I saw a lot of success my freshman year and then my sophomore year. And then junior year, I ended up making it to state. By the time I was freshman, I was benching 405, right? I was like, we're, we're going to, we're going to, and it, that was raw. It, like, at that point, I hadn't had my, sh- my shoulder surgery and I just felt more confident underneath the bench and finally hit 405 as a freshman in, in high school, got a surgery. And then, so I say, like, I had a lot of success very quickly and very early on, but at the same time, it took all that time before that I, that I don't always that I didn't for a long time realize that's what allowed for this to happen. It wasn't like oh you just became successful that's awesome, even though it felt like that for the last several years. Uh, for uh, probably like my probably during college and and probably just during college, I felt like I had a lot of success very quickly. But lately, I've been like. Looking back, it's like actually, it took me a really long time. Like, and, and so realizing that, I can take that into my life now, and I want all these nice things and living this this life of of glamour of success and like having the podcast grow. And it's like, hey man, just be patient. Like, it's gonna take you time. You're gonna have to learn how to communicate appropriately and learn how to have a good a good conversation that's going to be for someone that someone can listen and learn how to navigate the, the apps or the, the I, I do I produce my I produce all the producing as well it's like I need to take time to learn those things get good at them and then in a couple of years hopefully this grows you know and if it doesn't I got a I'm a much better communicator because of it you know like there there's a long it's all about the long game yeah it's definitely better. I've personally, as a coach and as obviously a, a student of all this, I've struggled with the word patience uh, in teaching it because I've come to realize that like people don't really understand what patience actually is. Like I've, I've tried to nail it down. Like, and every single person sees patience differently. So, for example. Uh, for you, you're talking about years and years and years developing patience. For some people, patience is like four weeks. And if they don't, <laughs> patience is gone. So like patience, I've had so much trouble with that word, literally, that I, this is going to sound crazy. I actually have taken the word patience out of my entire vocabulary as much as I could. And anytime somebody actually brings up the word patience, I'll actually intentionally say, no, 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 I don't want you to be patient. Like I'll, and, and it, what happens is, is it almost like it, there's almost like a snap in their mind where they're like, wait a minute, I'm not supposed to be patient about it. Like, like I'm, what I'm trying to actually do is I'm trying to get the concept of time 
out of their heads. And I'm, what I'm actually trying to do is I'm trying to get them fixated on just the goal at hand. And time just goes. Like you said, time is going to, to happen whether or not you were patient or not. And it had more to do with if you figured out the process or, or not. <laughs> so, and, and same thing, right? So, for example, what I've always told my athletes is that there's a certain rate of progression in anything, right? And what we do is we can only slow down the rate of our progression. We can't speed it up. So, so we, we can only go as fast as we can. The guy that went from 500 to 600, it seems fast. The reality is, is he just stopped getting in his own way with his rate of progression. He just stopped holding himself back. So that's why I'm really big on just never saying patience because the, the reality of the situation is it's going to go as fast or as slow as you dictate it. And patience is, is, is a word that's almost like an interjection to that where you have to think about slowing down. For some people, patience is slowing down. <laughs> For what I've realized is the word patience is like, I almost tell people to be impatient. I want you to go as fast as you can, you know, but obviously there's only, you can only go so fast. The key is just not getting in your own way. Um, and that's what I've realized at least is like when people say they pick up a new coach, right? And they start making a lot of progress. It is very possible that all they did was simply change something that kept them in their own way. And now that's not in their way. That would be the only difference. Being patient or being impatient or being whatever, it didn't even matter, right? All of a sudden. Um, and almost realizing that the word patience actually is just coming to a simple realization that that's what it was. It was just you were patient in that aspect or you weren't patient in that aspect, but it never really changed the bottom line, I would say. Um, so that, that concept in general, I've, I've had so much trouble with that. People talk about patience off the floor on the deadlift. I'm like, nah, dude, you got to get the bar off the ground. Like, dude, <laughs> Every time I hear someone say, be patient off the floor, it's like they always do it wrong. They always, like, lose explosiveness off the floor because they were trying to be, quote-unquote, patient. The amount of times that I just take the word patient out of it and I say, I need you to pull as hard as you can. I need you to do everything as hard as I can. But when the bar doesn't move, you just need to hold it there. I just tell people to hold it there. And, and then, and then that almost creates that, that fix for that situation. Um, I've, I've just never seen me personally, I've never seen a good outcome from, uh, from the word patient. Is that bad? <laughs> I don't think so. I think that's just what you've seen with the clients that you've had. I mean, and I, and I, I like the concept. I like, I like the idea. Like you, I mean, you're right. You do have to pull hard. And I think what how I approach because I think the deadlift is the, at the bottom of the deadlift is the best example. And yeah. you, I, well, the reason I like to use that most often is because I feel people, especially with the sumo deadlift, they're like, "Oh, that's really heavy and it's not moving." Mm. And it's like, no, 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 keep pulling. It's okay. Be patient. It's gonna move. And that's 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 how I use be patient. It's don't stop. Yeah, pulling. It's gonna move. Exactly. 
maybe but that, that's a better phrasing. That verbiage is what changes it, though. If you tell someone to be patient, they lose that explosiveness. If you tell them, hey, just don't rush, or tell them, hey, hold on, that that, that goes, like, 50 times better. I, I've noticed, at least. Um, um, and it's just... It's hard, just keep on going. It's just these little things. I'm telling you, the verbiage really changes how people go about it. Um, and uh, I've just encountered way too many... Uh, I've encountered just way too many people that use the word patient. I'm talking about in their lifting, right? Because the outcome was that they ended up patient, right? That that's the outcome. But whenever they were going about it, or when every time I try and teach it, it just never went through. I it and it took like too long to actually like get the message through. And then whenever I finally just started saying like okay, you just you still got to pull as hard as you can, but just simply wait for the bar to leave the ground or just say it in any or any other way. That's just, <laughs> I don't know why. It, it makes no sense. Um, uh, it, it, and again, that's because I think people view patient, like the word patient differently. They, they don't like, like they don't have a concept. We don't all have one universal concept for what patience is. Um, you're talking about a 10 year, uh, 10 plus year long journey. Uh, for some people being patient is, is, is simply trusting the process for a week or two to, to really see if Jim is right for them. Things like that. You'd be surprised what patience actually comes down to for a lot of people. What do you mean by that? Like being patient for some people means one to two weeks to see if it's right for them. Like that their level of patience is two weeks. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Dude, I've seen some people's level of patience be like five seconds. Have you ever been at a stoplight and the light turns green and it took no less than two seconds for the person to honk behind you? <laughs> like, dude, you'd be surprised what patience is to people. People have no concept of it, um, like, at all. <laughs> and I think, that, I guess there's some value to not being, like, it, it, I know that you're trying not to use that word patient, but I, there, there's... There's a benefit to not being so patient, like to waiting for some things for so long. Because if you end up just waiting forever, then nothing's ever going to happen, right? But yep. so then there needs to be action behind it. And I, you're right; it's it's an action of patience after the fact, right? I can look That's back and say, "Oh, I was patient for that long for me work with it." Yep. But now, but when I got, but every single day that I was there, I wasn't patient. I was fucking yeah. my ass off. I wasn't patient. Yeah. I wasn't looking forward to realizing, oh, in 10 years, I'm going to be here. I didn't yep. realize that at all. I was just oh. lifting. Cause, and, and I was going to lift the hardest that I possibly could every single time I was there. Even if it wasn't the right thing at that time like in high school and middle school, whatever it was. Realizing that, but then once I got to a point where I was competing at the higher level, I was, I understood that I could, I, I needed to be patient with yep. the training session so that yep. I, so that in six months from now, it's going to be okay. I'm going to lift more. And I think more, yeah. what I'm trying to say, and I think, and I like it a lot, trusting that process. It's okay. Just trust the process. You know what you wrote. You, you wrote the training. It's going to be okay. And if you need to change something, you can change something. 
but see it through. And if there's not, a, if there, if you, you realize that something didn't work out the way you wanted it to, let's go back, let's look at the data, and then let's make a change, right? And yeah. So now you try again. You try in the next twelve week block or message site, whatever it may be, right? But just trusting the process is probably a better phrasing than being patient. <laughs> I like how we can just go on about the way because. Well, but it's but it's because we've both been powerlifting for X amount of time where I can actually I totally get what you're saying by ending up being patient and trusting that process. But I will meet people that literally have not been lifting for more than a year and they keep telling me, oh, I'm just going to continue to be patient and I'm just going to continue to 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 trust the process and things like that. And I like I said, I always snap. Like <laughs> I always snap whenever I'm talking to those people a little bit where I say, well, you got to be a little bit impatient when you're one year into training and you should be moving faster than that. Like <laughs> you're, you're one year into training and you're over here adding, you know, 10 pounds a year to your whatever. It's like, no, 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 that's not the way to, you're not being, that's not patient. That's <laughs> I'm just saying. So like, I totally agree. Like you're, you're seasoned. You know what patience actually is. You know, you know that, that you have to wait. You know that you have to wait. Ironically, that's not being patient at all. That's realizing that the fastest way to progress is taking that time. You've realized that the best way to be impatient is to be patient. If that makes sense. Because the fastest rate to something is sometimes the long route, for example. Like, like as a seasoned athlete, I know I won't get to my strongest in X amount of time. And if I shortcut that process, I won't reach the top. We know that, right? So patience was almost forced. But in reality, that was the fastest way to do it. So that wasn't me being patient. I'm being impatient. I want to get to the top fast. I just don't have a choice. <laughs> Does that make sense? That's insane, dude. I That's Mind blowing. It makes so much sense. It's so good. And it's only because we've done it that we realize that. And I have a client right now who is just starting. They've never been in the gym. And so she's trying to like do all the little things right. And I so appreciate the, like the level of intention and, and, and appreciation and respect for the sport. But at the same time, there comes a day where it's like, all right, let's go. Like, let's get under the bar. Like, you're ready. You've been ready yeah. for a while now. Now let's get yeah. moving. And it's it's just not. It's just I don't know if it. I don't necessarily fear. I don't know. I don't know necessarily what to call it. I don't know if it's. I don't call it anything. I just think it is what it is. I guess it's just that's the it's human. It's just the human. What do we call it? The human. It's it's basically how we are as humans or how we tend to be. It's, it's a, it's an actual just trait of humans. <laughs> that being just like ready, but not willing to take the step or what do you mean by? Well, as weird as it sounds, right? So uh, we've heard it before millions and millions of times, right? You, the worker mindset versus the entrepreneur mindset versus the, uh, you know, we're talking about different main traits that people have, right? Uh, by nature, we, We'll do what, what I call avoid pain. We avoid pain. We'll, we'll take the path of least resistance to avoid pain. Um, that's something that is very well known among people in general is we don't chase. We, we won't do it. I don't know how to explain it. It's almost like you have to convince yourself 
of it before your body is even ready to do it. It's like a weird, and 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 powerlifters are especially they've especially especially the 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 more seasoned ones. They've learned how to control this 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 uh this pain response thing uh because because we're talking about when you're brand new, your pain response level is so much different from and I'm not talking about physical pain by the way. I'm talking about anticipating that something is going to be rough on you, like <laughs> like anticipating that 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 crushing uh, force. <laughs> uh, that's a very like learned thing, and, and we all have it as humans, right? We're we're not we're not we weren't meant to sit in cubicles and do these things. Obviously, we were meant to hunt and we'll do whatever, whatever, whatever you want to call it. All that. Uh, all that stuff. We we're meant to do all that. Fine. But the problem is, is these days we actually have to like each, we almost have to teach this concept to, to, to newer lifters or to newer sports players, newer people getting into physical aspects of things. Um, a lot of that might have to be the reason that a lot of people don't play outside when they were kids. So whenever the, it comes to a physical type of situation, they don't, they have less of an actual threshold for this, quote unquote, pain. Uh, pain just being like distressed. Yes. So, yeah, th- there's a lot here actually. And, and a lot of those newer lifters, it's all of them are a little bit different, but you'll find the reason why a lot of people that played sports in the past, they accommodate things a lot quicker in sport or in powerlifting is because they're used to taking that leap. They're used to they're used to having to to be explosive or take a massive amount of action against the stress. Um, so you know that stuff. So <laughs> a lot of stuff here, and and there's a lot of tangents that can be had in in all of this. By the way, um, so I don't know. I think that's what I, I think. There's a lot there in that that. Taking that leap, and I wonder if it, it makes me think, like, is it something that's trained? Is it something that it sticks with you? Because I, because I listened to podcasts yesterday about stoicism, and he was talking about if you think about philosophers now, like you imagine a, a professor with glasses and a, and a turtleneck, and he's walking around with his book. But back in the day, Marcus Aurelius and these people that were stoic philosophers, they were like athletes. They were marathon runners. They were fighters. They were like they were warriors who lived life, who had the time to be introspective and to have hard things, to have challenges, to push them. And not and though at that time it was physical in, in nature, just like the, the marathon, right? The physical in nature. But what's happening inside of your brain and what you're teaching yourself is Art is going to be good. Like it's going to achieve a result that would be ideal of what I'm looking for. And I think with that, it trains some sort of intelligence. Like, I think there's, there's a level of intelligence that comes along with being physically active. And when I was growing up, I remember it just being like, I was so ashamed of being liking the gym. I was like, this, how could I? Everyone's going to think I'm dumb for liking being in the gym. I'm a meathead guy. But I think it gives me, it gave me so much time to just be in the gym alone. And there's so many nights that I was just at the gym, 9 30, 10 o'clock, and the coaches would come in and be like, hey, do you want to go home? Get, the, get out of here. And I was like, oh, all right. Well, that sounds good, you know? But I think that all that time that I spent alone gave me time to just think. And that's, I, and so, oh man, I was going to go on something else here. Um, uh, yeah, so I think just having that that hard part, and right now in my life, it's like uh, I went from a desk job to a more 
physical job. And I, I understood that I was asking for more work, but I was so drained being in an office at a, waiting for things to happen, just being at a desk and calling people, being on the phone. I was making okay money, but it was like, what, what I'm losing my mind here. There's no challenge. There's no growth. There's no opportunity other than just talking. And that's not okay. So then I asked, I was offered the opportunity to say, have a new position. And now it's so much more intense. I mean, it's, it, it's hectic. It's crazy. It's all the way from six to six, if not later. And it's nonstop. No lunches. Everyone's moving. And that hard, I feel like is going to end up making me into a better person in the future. I don't know what it is. I don't know what's going to come of it. Even if it's even if it's nothing, but like it, there, there's going to be some sort of adaptation that my brain is going to have to make in order to keep up with my surroundings, or or it won't be able to hang, and then I won't be successful, and I walk away. But I think I have enough control. I think we all have enough control to be in that moment and realize, oh man, I I'm not good at this thing, and how am I going to do? How am I going to get better? Like the first meeting that we had, I. I, they were like, you know, they, they say an address and then I have to manage, manage a house, right? So I have to, they say that, they say the address and then I say, oh, um, we're going, frames going up this week and we have on schedule plumbing next week. And I have 25 different jobs that I have to do that for. The first week I shat the bed. I looked like an idiot. I was just terrible, confused, not knowing what was where. And I just like, I was so good about with doing that with the names because I was in sales. So we would do that with the names that, oh, I know what this person is, who their lender is, what the amount that they're paying for for the house and what the next process in the step. Like I, I just, I could, but now when it's the address and now I'm managing the job, it was entirely different. So then I went back home, sat at my desk till 9.30, 10 o'clock at night, and I wrote out a sheet of week by week, who needs to be called, what's happening that week, and the phase that we're in for each for each item. So then I went back the following week, this the, our, our second or third week, to have the, the same conversation. It was like, all right, I have this anxiety. I was looking at the, the sheets. We're about to get to my name. And they're like, all right, 3148 Brady Court, where are you at then? And I'm like, boom, popping them off. They would get through it. And it's like, I still had a couple of hiccups, but it was an opportunity for me to learn the prior week that there's an opportunity for growth here. I'm either going to make the adjustments or I'm not. And I think that maybe, and maybe it is sports that it teaches you to make the adjustments, to realize, okay, I can use my brain. I have skills here. Let me put it to use. I have all these, I have this toolbox. How am I going to use it to make the most out of this opportunity that I've been given? Yeah. And you're, you're going to laugh when I say this, but you'd be surprised how painful it is for some people to leave a very stable job. <laughs> it's pain. People, it's risk. It's scary. It's, you know, it's, it's, what will I do if I don't do good at this? Things like that. You'd be surprised how many people literally don't do that because they don't and and you're relating it back to a sports background you're taking a leap you're taking a uh a jump to something that you haven't done before that's powerlifting in a nutshell really um uh every single time every competition yeah every attempt right yeah every session it's like crap i have to prove myself or i'm dead just gonna fall on my face but (laughs) like and and but that's the thing here, right? So you made that jump 
and and it and it might have to do with your powerlifting background. It might have to do with who knows what else it might have to do with. But I think that in general, life needs purpose. And whenever you do something over and over again, your fear of pain should not be as high as your want for purpose or, or your your need to have more purpose, if that makes sense. Um, because the thing is, right, for example, people make leaps all the time where they're like, OK, I'm going to start this business or I'm going to start doing this. And and, you know, whether or not they do good, they don't know, but they, they're just doing it. And. And it's like, okay, because I don't want to be at this desk for the next 10 to 40 years of my life, I need to do something else, right? You took a plunge. You you did something that, again, not a lot of people do. I'm not, I'm not saying that nobody does it, but I'm saying more people are, you know, they, they, they're more comfortable just doing <laughs> – the same thing because it's not scary and it's not it's not stressful it's not it's not it's just less engaging the fact that it's less engaging is better <laughs> i get my paycheck so that i can do my fun things and i'll do that mundane job that i really really hate ruin my sleep schedule have gray hairs by the age of 27 <laughs> I've, you know, I've seen it like little background about me I got to my last year of engineering school and literally I think I only had like 12 hours left. I didn't, I had like, a, I basically finished the degree. I had like a, I had a few things left. And at this time, the peak of me uh, realizing that I could teach a ton of people about powerlifting and make an influence and make an impact on people was at an all time high. Like I was like, man, powerlifting has tripled in the last year like how many people are entering it and things like that i was like i saw so much like potential like not even like on purpose i was just observing it and so i actually just like literally i partnered up with with a few people and opened a gym i literally jumped i jumped from from that because i didn't i saw what people were doing in mechanical engineering and i was like that's not for me like the opportunity and the chance to actually do something that's engaging in mechanical engineering, you need about three to five years of experience to even start to do what we would say, what you want to do. Because the amount of times where it's like, okay, the first three years, you're essentially doing what we call grunt work, where you're either at a desk or you're running around like a chicken with your head cut off for a railroad company. <laughs> if, if my friend hears that, he's going to laugh, but he's going to, okay. So, my point is, I saw all of that coming and was like, I'm not going to do that. Like, I literally told myself I wasn't going to do that. And I was literally going to bootstrap it up and just try something entirely different because I actually saw it not as painful to move. I saw it as painful pain coming. <laughs> I saw the pain coming and I was like, I'm not going to go into that. I'm not going <laughs> to, that looks painful and I'm not going to do that. I'd rather do something that's fun. And, uh, me being that living in the moment type of person, as you're realizing, I just went and jumped, uh, <laughs> because, because, because it was, it was me actually almost running away from the pain that I saw coming. 
Uh, and you know, I, I watched, I watched my friends that were any bit like me, uh, in engineering grow gray hairs out of their head by the age of 25. And I was like, man, I am so glad I got the heck out of that. Um, so I don't know. I'm just saying, all I know is I'm pushing 29 now and people still think that I'm in college. So <laughs> it's kind of a very interesting experience. I, I still feel young. I still feel you know, just fooling things and, and it's and and making that jump was made all the difference uh you know in, in, in all this. Uh and by the way, to all your listeners, I'm not encouraging you to open a gym. Really don't do that. Really talk to me or do something before you decide to do that, by the way. Um because if because if you don't know what to do, it's not the best situation. But um definitely, you know, just realizing that a lot of that stuff is 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 in perspective is is what has caused the result that, that we have now is truly me escaping or wanting to escape the pain. And and it sounds like you just got to that point where you're escaping that pain because you realize it's not worth it. Um yeah, and, and, you know, again, luck of the draw. We're talking about finding the opportunity to escape pain. When you have the opportunity, you just jump. I jumped. Most people would not jump with 12 hours of engineering school left. They are like, oh, I will take the close to six-figure pay for, uh, you know, just sitting at a desk and hating my life. I'll totally do that because that's easy, you know? And and you you come down to it and you're like, okay, how many people graduate from engineering school per year? Millions. Millions of people do that. How many people end up being a high-level powerlifting coach? How many people end up being gym owners? Not as many. And, and you know, it's just kind of stacked against you. But I wasn't thinking about any of that at the time. I was just, I don't know. Anybody that knows me literally, they're like, he's in his own little world. And he's, <laughs> there wasn't a... A, a shadow of a doubt or any of the whatever and it was just take it how it comes and it, it, it'll it'll work out somehow and uh, and if not then too bad so so sad and uh whatever i'll go back to that boring as heck easy desk job that i could do you and that's the thing about jobs is you can literally just go back and get that job uh, people always need work there's always going to be you can go pick up go go for that you know, go, go ahead. You can go back to this waiting for you. <laughs> All that stuff is waiting for you when there's always somebody that started a business that's that wants that wants you to work for them. <laughs> it always works like that. Um, that's always, it's always going to be there. That's cool. that, when I jumped from like college, I kept telling myself one of the things that kept me, you know, continuing to jump was I can always go back to school and finish this. If I want to, uh, after two years, I was like, no, I'm not doing that. But <laughs> like literally it, the realization that a lot of these things that society has put for you, those are the easiest things. That is the minimum. Like, yeah, bro, I got a, a degree. Yeah, bro. Freaking everybody has one of those. Like, <laughs> come on, like, give me a break. That's, that's the thing to do. If you don't know what you want to do, like that's your fallback. That's that's your that's the end of that. <laughs> so and and you know I can always go back to that. That's not something that I'm 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 worried about. That's the easy. That's the baseline. So I, I'm just saying, like if if it comes down to it, and I 
I become just the worst businessman of all time and I just can't make it and whatever. It's like, oh, darn, I need to go back to this jazz job and make make this and just hate my life. It's like, okay, cool. I deserved it. But I, you know, but I guess that'll be how that ends. And then I'll just try and do something else. Who knows? But it's a personality thing, I think. Um, and some people can be learned, though. I feel like it's like, yeah. you know, there are people yeah. who are listening who maybe are like, man, I'm, I'm that person who's less likely to jump. And I'm not the fastest person to jump either. Like, I, yeah. I look at things and I'm like, thinking, thinking this job now, I was in the middle of a master's program. So I was like, oh, oh. should I, should I take a jump and, and move entire industries, go from, from personal trainer, from fitness into real estate? Like, that's a, I don't know, man. That's a, that's a pretty big jump. I don't know anything about it. And I asked the, this entire time, by the way, I would have just literally told you to do it, but, but I would have literally given you like five good reasons to actually do that. Because I actually have a friend who, at the time, he was working at Kroger, and he was uh, he he was in the the meat section. I forgot what he did, but he literally was like the coolest guy to talk to. I always had good conversations with him. He always had a very good head on his shoulders, and you get to a point where, again, if you don't do what society has in store for you. So, for example, that would be graduating high school, which would probably be the bare minimum, but graduating college would be the new bare minimum, we would say. So if you don't do that, right, then you almost have to set a path for yourself or or you end up somewhere that you don't want to be in most cases. Um, so he jumped into real estate. He had, I think, I think his, his dad knew somebody that had a, had a firm and he started working at his firm. The dude became a top seller in not even like a month. He literally got his real estate license and just started. He was so good at talking to people. We, but we knew that we already knew that he was good at that. And all we had to do was get him in a place where he does good at what he is actually good at. And, and some people are really good at doing mundane engineering jobs. I'm sorry. Uh, they, they are. But, but that's what I'm saying. That wasn't. Oh, and, and, and so, you know, he became a top seller really quickly. And, and, you know, I get a message from him maybe a few months ago that says, Hey, uh, you know, I might be doing, I might have to go to this job. And I was like, all right, bro, we talked about that. We don't like jobs. So like, but we had this talk and he was like, no, 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 this isn't a normal job. This is, uh, this is me being a good agent and actually teaming up with a, uh, like they, they build houses, builders. And so he was like, I'm going to be one of the guys that sits inside of one of those builders houses and helps connect people to their homes or something like that. And I was like, he was like, dude, that's a lot of work. Yeah, he was like, that's a lot. Of, I was like, that's a lot of work. But if you're willing to do that, I told I told him, I was like, do that for like one or two years, jump into something else, like, you know, do the work uh, for, for a little bit. And he was like, but dude, they make like 200K a year. And I was like, holy crap. Well, <laughs> like, and I was like, okay, well, here you go, man. Like, here you go. This is, and, and I told him, I was like, don't lose sight of the, of, of the great, of the good things, you know, maybe do some work for one or two years and, but at least it's work that you're good at. And at least it's work that you've, you're, you've got some experience in now, at least there's something, there's something, there's something, there's purpose in that and, it, and it'll get you somewhere. 
you know? And we're, we're talking about the guy that, started, that, that, that was at Kroger. So, <laughs> so I'm just saying, like, it, 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 the background has nothing to do with it. It's just very, like, it's very making a jump to something, being pursuant in it, and then, you know, just hugging the process from there. And you'd be really surprised where it takes you. I would dare say actually graduating and getting a degree is the fastest way to do absolutely nothing in 10 years. But really, you know, that's my opinion. So, um, and again, some people are, some people want to do that. Some people want to have a job. They want to like have their 10 to 20 year plan set out entirely for them already. That's okay. There's actually nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's, uh, it's all about doing what you want to do. The problem is, is doing what you want to do doesn't always coincide with what, uh, these norms are. And then you get a lot of people trapped in a, in a workplace that they don't want to be in. You know, and, and you get a lot of those kind of people and they don't know how to take the jump. They don't know how to, they don't know what to do first. And, uh, you know, I have, I actually am fortunate enough to have a lot of these conversations with some of my athletes because they're, they're professionals in workplaces and things like that as well. And, and I'm not going to tell them like, Hey, quit your job. And (laughs) I'm not going to tell them that. Right. But, but I do subtly give off a vibe that there's always something more. There's always something better. Maybe, you know, like, 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 don't stop at here, you know, at least the type of thing. And and that, that's just kind of just been, I guess, me in a nutshell for, for the last five years, ever since opening a gym, because I, I don't know, I, I didn't think of it as ballsy, as weird as it sounds. I was running away from seeing something very painful. Um, so like people are like, oh man, you opened a business. That's so cool. Like, how did you have the confidence to do that? And I was like, bro, it was not freaking confidence. It was literally being like that over there <laughs> is not it. <laughs> and and that looks painful. So I'm going to do the thing that looks less painful. I ran away from pain by doing a painful thing for most people, if that makes any sense. So, yeah. But, I think it's it's not the social norm. I mean, you, uh, you graduate high school, you go to college, you have a family, you meet your wife in college, and you have kids, you have a family, and then you work for a job for four years. I remember when I first told my mom or my, my parents that I was going to jump into sales. They're like, how could you? I mean, find a job that's gonna that you can retire at. Just find something, stay there, and be done. Stable. They keep saying this word stable, by the way. <laughs> and st- I mean, there, there's there's something to stability, and I think the stability is understanding that there's always room for growth. Like that, that to me is stable. Always driving for something better, because there, there is you can always be better interpersonally, and then also in your in your relationships with with in your career, whatever that you can always be better. And it's not that I'm not. It's not that I'm not happy with where I'm at. It's that I, I, I'm happy here, but I understand that I'm, I'm not content. I'm not satisfied. There's, there's still the opportunity for me to be better. And if I can be better for myself and also by proxy be better for others, if I'm a better trainer, then the other people that I'm training get to benefit off of that, right? It's, it's not just for me. It's for me and all the people in my community. It's they're, they're, it's just in a lot of if I can make it's like the, the putting the, the oxygen mask on your face before um, putting putting it at somebody else's. If you don't ever take you need to pull it down, put it on yourself, give yourself oxygen, take care of yourself, so you can take care of the person next to you. Yeah, you're good, so that you are your best for the next person. Right, 
And and I totally agree. You'd be so surprised how many like people get better, but as they get better, they make like their next top three friends or whoever better around them because and, and that's the societal thing actually. That's actually the benefit to being social, as weird as that sounds, uh, because you directly have an influence on people, whether you like it or not. Like you can say, oh. I work my nine to five and then I go home and I don't talk to anybody. So I don't influence anybody and it'll be okay. And it's like, well, dude, you still influence somebody at bare minimum. You influence at least your parents. If you don't have a significant other, then you at least influence your parents. And, and the thing is like when, when it comes down to it, right, you have to like actually realize that, there is influence in what you do, like wherever you go. And if you don't continue to get better, then you're literally keeping what we call the status quo for, for the rest of the people around you, almost in a sense. Uh, I've lost so many, uh, I wouldn't say friends. I've lost many acquaintances because of the pure fact that I literally wouldn't stop. Like I, I I wouldn't, I don't know. Like I, I just had to keep doing better. And the, and the problem is, is like some people, they just didn't want to go. Like they, they, I started not being able to click with them because they, they were okay with certain things, just being stable. And, and it wasn't like a falling out. It was more of a, we don't really see eye to eye quite in, in some of these things. And as a result, hanging out doesn't feel as good. It's not as fun. It's not, it's a weird thing. Uh, it's like running a race and everyone's starting together and everyone's running at different paces and it's her and I at the time we're running at the same pace we're both trying to further our career and it's it works to be able to talk to someone to communicate it's like having some somebody just ask hey is this okay is that not okay what do you think about that knowing we're running at the same pace but at that one point we're gonna take different paths, or we're not. But you're gonna, you're, it's you're running at the same pace as somebody else, and sometimes people just track behind. They decide they're gonna slow down. They're, they're they need a break. They need some water, and that's not necessarily wrong. Maybe they're gonna continue that pace in the future. But right now, I'm I'm moving, and I'm gonna keep moving. You're not gonna stop me. I'm not gonna stop me. I'm gonna keep moving. Right. And the and the thing is, right. What I've realized is that. As long as you're moving, it actually has, like you said, there's no such thing as, as like, say, say you're stopping for water, for example. There's actually nothing wrong with that. You need water. <laughs> you got to have time to recharge to keep running. So I, I've, I've come to realize that, you know, it's more about the idea that you are trying to get better. Whether or not you're actually moving or not is here or there, because sometimes you need the, the push or sometimes you need the right situation to come along or sometimes sometimes you know some of that catalyst stuff hasn't quite happened yet it's it's more about your mind being ready to the fact that things can change really fast and and because they can um uh especially you know in these times like you're noticing things change really quickly almost staying still is almost impossible to do even if you want to stay still so um it's more about just keeping up with that pace and, and, and having having the thought that, that you know, there is more out there. That, that's the outlook here that, that, that we're both striking and, and realizing is that even if your partner is moving at 
X pace and you're moving X plus one or X plus two pace, that's okay because there's still a pace and there's still something there's still there's still a actual goal in mind or a actual direction or a direction we would call it uh, to go. And um, yeah, I mean, it all I, I mean, the thing is, it it can start from powerlifting. It can start from anything. You could be a track athlete, you could be a football player, you could be a whatever, but this is very the same, right? This thought process. There are parallels here in any sport. Uh, we, we Our background is in powerlifting, so we relate the most upon that because that is how we found our ability to be able to change. The, the, the realization that we can make a choice to do something and see a result Um uh, you know, the classic cheesy quote, life happens or, or we happen to life or, you know, we like we have control of what we would call our destiny. Um, and there there are many different types of people. And what you'll see is that there's about half the population that literally believes that things happen to them and they can't do anything about it. And then there's another half. And I don't even know if it's half. It might be 20 percent or 15 percent. I have no idea at this point. Um, that believe that they can just do something about it. Um, you know, that, that, that they're not stuck and they can at least make the best of a situation. Um, so it's more of a character thing. And, and then there are some people that you just can't convince that there's more. I, I've unfortunately, I've, I've met some of these people and it, they're hard. They're hard to, not even that they're hard to talk to. You just, you just end up having like, less meaningful conversations with them sometimes or you, it, they're just hard to hard to understand. And, and I'm, I like to pride myself in understanding a lot of different types of people. But like when you find out somebody literally isn't chasing any purpose, it's, it's sometimes it can be hard. It can just be hard just knowing that, uh, that, that person is willing to sit in the same spot forever sometimes. Um, but and of course, all, all of this is, like you said, whenever you would end up at the gym late at night and then you have a lot of time to think. A lot of these things have happened because I've had the opportunity to be a business owner. What that means is I have a lot of time to think about things and I have generally a little bit more time or a little bit less time, depending on <laughs> what day it is, uh, to, to think, to literally clear my head and and have some, you know, retrospect or some introspect on on how I'm thinking and, and then how people are <laughs> existing. So I've had a lot of that. I'll put it that way. Same here. And I think I think it, it comes along with being just active, maybe just taking that time. Being a business yeah. owner, I mean, as well, I mean, you're right. But at the same time, there's also a lot of times where you, you, you there is no time to move or no time to think. It's only moving. Um, and I think I'm excited to find more of that balance and less of being an employee, but being uh, the, the owner, right? I mean, I have a couple different things, but I think being the just understanding that those things can be the thing and not have this as a supplement or them as a supplement. And then, um, yeah, they are not my supplement. They are, they are my focus, right? And then this just happens to be my, my supplement. And, and that's also, that's, that's kind of cool. I've never really said that out loud, but I, I, I kind of like that idea. It's like, those that's, that's my push. And yeah. giving that more time and understanding that 
that this is going to get there. I mean, you, you don't get paid to podcast immediately, right? So this is... Oh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't even think about that, actually. Uh, I've had people ask me, like, if I'm going to start a podcast or do YouTube and things like that. And I've had, as weird as it sounds, the most trouble wanting to do something like that because I've always been somebody that is good at talking to people, right? We're, but, but talking to people on an individual basis. And I don't know why, uh, and you might have noticed that on the on the YouTube thing, or not the YouTube, the uh, live stream, but when it came to not talking to somebody and having a good, you know, organic conversation with people, it, it's hard. It's hard to talk to something that's not talking back to you. And I, I had so much trouble with that. I, I remember being on uh, Marcellus's, uh, Swolfester's YouTube for a video, and we were addressing some some stuff, and and he was sitting next to me to my left, but we were looking at a camera, and it was the hardest thing to do because I was like, I'm talking to a machine. It was the weirdest thing. I had so much trouble with it, and I don't know why, but um, when it comes to like making videos or making content or things like that, the first thing that I think about is who is this going to go to? And I'm like, when I, if I create a YouTube, right, say I create general fitness, whatever. The first thing I think is not only am I just finding a different way to twist this because YouTube is oversaturated with a lot of this content, but who am I actually able to influence, right? And I might be able to influence 50 people here, but my advice might totally not work for 50 people here. What I've realized that's 100% effective is talking to a person and being 100% effective right then and right there. So I, for me, I've always gotten the most out of conversations because I can really understand where someone's coming from. And as a result, if help is needed, I can really know what to say in that situation. So it's less what we would call general Um so I, I personally, uh, I don't even know if that's a struggle or not, but because I, I, I don't even, I, as weird as it sounds, I wouldn't even view that as a struggle. It's just, it's just something I can't do. Because yeah, we all have the things that we're good at, you know, and it just happens to not. And I think this this conversation is very different than the one that we had at the live stream. And I think like getting able to be, <laughs> same goes for me as well. Like it's hard to be in that moment and say all these four things and also communicate with somebody and then give like general facts that people are going to be willing to listen to and then understand. It's like, this is like, I do, and I don't know who I'm going to influence. Like, I don't know. I have people who are like, hey man, I listen to every single one of them. It's awesome. Like keep on going. And then I have other people who are like, eh, maybe it's there. But if I can make a small impact with people and then give people, it continues to get shared and hopefully it grows into something. And then It will. I, I'm actually very confident that it will. Because the thing is, right, what what happens is is as you produce more content, everything will start to actually snowball. Um, you will have the people that want to listen to every single one that you produce, uh, and then you'll have new people that come in, and if they like it, then cool. You're you're talking about appealing to a very large mass of people. This isn't like trying to convince something to put something heavy on their back. Did that? That's a very small part of the population. Uh, but right now we're, we're talking about real life things. We happen to be relating them to some stressful, uh, things that we've done in the past or, and are currently doing in my case, but 
<laughs> it, it, it relates to a lot of people on a very, you know, just organic level. We, we want, we want purpose. We want to be full. We want, we want these things in life. Well, you know, and, and we're all trying to fulfill them. Like, and having real conversations about that is, is I think what a lot of people don't get in their daily life. You know, they don't have enough of these type of conversations. I guarantee you, because of course I have these conversations with a lot of my athletes. The first thing that they tell me is I never get to talk to people about this kind of stuff. How did we get to this topic after only five minutes of first meeting you? I've already, <laughs> it's weird. I've already noticed that, that you're digging deeper than, than, than anybody, you know, surface level wise, if that makes sense. Like you're actually wanting to understand what's going on. You're actually engaging with me on a conversation instead of being, surface level oh how's your day today type of thing and then it's like oh it's good cool okay end of conversation <laughs> for real that's a real conversation that everybody has it's so surface level people don't get good conversations in their life i i, I i'm a hundred percent sure um unfortunate it's part of the reason that i wanted to do this i i got a lot of the same comments it's like man like Never, you know, I'm sitting next to someone at the bar, and it's not talking about the drink, but it's talking about, hey, man, what brings you here? How's it going? Yeah. What's going on with life? And you get into this, like, like their, their life story, because people are interesting if you give them the opportunity to. And I think yeah. we have something to share. There's all little tidbits that we all can learn from. It's just actually sitting and taking the time to listen and then also be vulnerable enough to communicate your own opinion, because not everyone's going to agree with it. But, and but yep. that's okay. But it, it, it's like it's it's okay that not everyone's gonna like what I say, and and not everyone needs to. I don't need to have everyone love what I say. But hopefully they get something from what you said today, and I think that they people will, right? Because you, yeah, you're, I mean, yeah, and I, I use you as an example. But people, you're, if you're well spoken, like you, you you have a lot of really good tidbits, and not everybody has that. Like a lot of just the way you phrase things is awesome, and I think having a podcast is probably a good thing. To and 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 selfishly, I want you to come on more often, just because it is it is not it is not. I feel like people that don't have practice with it, it's hard to have that conversation with. But then you yeah. get them rolling. You're right. Like even in the conversations, it'll snowball. Like things get easier. People get more relaxed. You kind of drive that conversation, and people end up opening up a lot, and you learn yeah. a lot about who they are. Which is a- I definitely I definitely got more relaxed as, as we went. Um, and, and you're totally right. Like a lot of this, um, like podcasting type stuff, it, I've noticed, for example, that podcasts will be even an hour or two hours long and they'll almost be rants on purpose. And so there's like a category that's kind of like that. And for us, we're just discussing stuff and we're just seeing where it goes. So this would be like a general thing. I would be more than happy to actually come on to a podcast and have maybe like a list of things to go and kind of track. And then, and, and, and maybe if you, you pick up some listeners that want to talk about certain things, then, then we can, you know, cover topics and things like that. And we'll just be a little bit more organized. Um, I'm down and, but I'm very tangential. If you notice, like I, I, I like relating things to other things because 
everything relates to something that we all know. Um, and putting that in perspective is a big deal to me personally, because it becomes more personable to people. Um, and, and that's, that, that's why I like putting things together like that. Um, nothing powerlifting, coaching or whatnot. That's all the same thing as well, but you just have to be able to relate things to what somebody is going through or what somebody, or, you know, just any sort of thing. And then, and, you know, you have a goal in mind and, and whether or not it's squatting five or whatever, or just simply taking the leap to just like real estate, for example, like, uh, like it, it, this is our first real conversation ever. And, and in my head, the first thing I think whenever, cause you haven't told me a whole lot yet, but pretty curious now, um, it, it tells me that there was a lot of stuff that you believed you had to do before uh, that was dictating the actions that you were making, that, that made you go into something that wasn't quite, maybe not quite made for you, but you still did it anyway, you know, almost as a, I have to do this in order for this to work or this, like, it's, it's almost like a forced type of thing. So, but pre-organic, right? Pre, pre-jumping ship. Uh, type of thing. So it, it makes me believe that, you know, just like anybody, we, we all have the thing that we think that we have to do. And then, and then we have the things that I think we want to do that we can also make work. So I think the thing that I, that I felt, I mean, from the very beginning, I knew that I didn't want to be a, like a full-time coach in a way. Like, but at the same time, I love, Coaching and what I thought of as a coach to clarify is the the high school, the college, the college coach, because I thought that that was like the peak NFL college athlete, college coaching, and so I I I was like this lifestyle is not necessarily the lifestyle I want. Like you're the one that shows up the earliest, you stay the latest, you're not making very much money, and then your job security is pretty low. Like and, and like you're. If the team doesn't do well, then as a strength and conditioning coach, you're cut. And it's just like, because the next coach is going to bring in their people. So I could be doing a damn good job. And because coach over there sucks, I'm going to get cut? That sounds like bullshit. And yeah. I, 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 I knew that that's not the lifestyle I'm looking for. I just, that's not it. Um, and so I ended up graduating with a degree in, in sports conditioning, which leads to coaching. I had a minor in coaching. And a yeah. in psychology, and throughout the same time, I was also I I, I got very interested and invested in uh, research because when I was in high school, I messaged a one of the professors over at A&M about uh, genetics. It's like, what makes a bodybuilder a bodybuilder and a powerlifter a powerlifter? Like, what is the genetic at the peak level? What are the genetic differences between these two athletes? Now, that's a that, that's a loaded question. Now, knowing uh, more, but that's that's half, right? That's there's a lot there. Um, but uh, he was like, you know what? If you if you come back to if you're in College Station and you end up getting to A and M, go ahead and reach back out. We could set something up. So I ended up reaching out to the guy, and he took me into the lab. And the more I learned about the lab, he's like a John Hopkins researcher, a NASA researcher. He was very like world renowned for genetics research. And he ended up taking me to the lab while I was working with doctoral students, killing rats and mountain rats, my sacrifices, chopping heads off of things. And it was like, sacrifices. <laughs> sacrifices. Yeah, man. <laughs> I was like, 
why am I going to class? Class sucks. Like, that's not fun. What's fun is, like, actually doing things that I feel like, are, like I'm making a difference. Like, one of, the, one of the first things we did was we did genetics research on a, a specific plastic that we injected into a mother, and then we tracked three generations down to see what was happening with those mice, and they had cancerous tumors. And so that, that uh, plastic no longer exists in, in, in the market. And so... So like little things like that, or like uh, we took, um, uh, what is it? Uh, you take the feces of uh, of a human who works out, and you take their 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 makeup, their biome, their microbiome, and you have people who take those pills, and it changes the way that they're how active they are. So then you, and so we we did some research on how dopamine is affected by the microbiome. And how people who are more active have a different uh, a different flora, so they're more likely to move. And so, like that was another big difference. And, and so, like, so I got into the research world, really enjoyed it. And then got a school afterwards, as I got, I was doing that more than I was going to class, and I was like, yeah. powerlifting. And then uh, ended up getting back in, and then I started doing research in um, what is it called? In nutrition, so I wanted to work with people. I didn't want to work with mice. I wanted to work with people. So we did the Fit Joy research. I don't know if you know the Fit Joy the bars. And yep. So so we we did the research on that on that guy using the oligosaccharide, which has led me now to all that all that background led me to where I am now with that company. But this entire time, I didn't really know what I was doing. You said earlier it was like. We go to college because we don't really know what's going on. That's that's literally what it was. I, mean, I guess I'm just going to keep on doing this, I guess. And I panicked. I got into selling uh, construction after I graduated and panicked because I felt like I wasn't doing enough. And so I ended up applying to a master's and getting in. And I hated it. I was like, this sucks. Like, this isn't fun at all. Um, and looking back on it now, it's like, oh, like it, it teaches you things like looking at a spreadsheet of data that I would have not normally like, been able to look at. Look at a graph and I can tell you when someone's doing a counter movement jump all the way up and all the way down. I can look at the graph and tell you how, what their peak force is and how that relates to this and how to change. Uh, and, and so it was all about athlete monitoring. And the guy who runs it is Dr. Stone, who is the head of, or was the head of physiologist for Team USA's Olympic team. And all of this was really, really awesome, really cool. But the issue that I had with it was I can't use this with most athletes. I don't like most athletes. One, they don't care. Most, most like my clients at the time were all country club members, so they don't like they don't care. There's no interest in like peak level performance. And really, what that does at that level is you're looking for those minute differences and to see if my training program is going to lead me to what what my goal is. Right? If I'm if I'm going for power, if I'm going for strength, and then if I'm able to have a, a high impulse, then I know my power is output is, is, is working correctly um, and then if I have a peak peak power that's even higher than last time then I know or a peak um, peak force higher than last time then I know that uh, my strength training program is going well as well right so I can I can track that but I can't use that now yeah well what I realized about that so so now that you mention it right you're talking about doing research right and I've realized that there's almost a trickle down of uh, we would call it high level research, and then we we can dumb it down all the way down to like the gym bro, right? So what's actually happening is is you were at such a high level, right, that it 
it didn't have like there's layers before you get down to the actual person, right? You you don't actually you don't actually have that interaction. You're the you're the guy that's five layers up doing the research that eventually takes even 10, 20 years, or maybe even comes up to nothing, that eventually, if something good comes of it, becomes the actual standard in 10, 20 years. So it's trickle down, right? How good we get at lifting. It keeps getting better and better and better, but that's because 5, 10 years ago, someone figured out this. That's because 20 years, we figured out this. Things like that. It's trickle down. So you were at you were doing something at such a high level that it lost almost its personality. But that's more because the research that you were doing becomes conclusive and important maybe 10, 20 years down the line where they're like, wait a minute, this study that produces this force elicited this result and it connects to this now. And then the training programs get better. And then all that stuff happens. But the problem with that is the country club member only wants to look good in a shirt. So if the country country club member doesn't want to look like he has, like, saggy chest, then how does that have anything to do with the explosiveness of this, 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 and this? And and, and that's me trying to tie that together because what you were doing did make an impact. It definitely... There, there are, that matters. You are just setting the pace for something that happens way in the future, or if not at all. <laughs> so, yeah, not at all. and I think, it, and, 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 like, and so to tie that back into, so that's what I, I was doing, and I didn't really know what I was doing. I was kind of like forced, as, as you said, to kind of like just do things in order to get somewhere. And, and I think not realizing that I, I was doing the research part of it because I enjoyed it. And then the school part was just like, I guess this is part of it, right? And this is the forced thing to hopefully lead me to the job that I think I'm supposed to have. And um, now that I have, so I'm having, I have my own protein formula, my own protein shake recovery supplement. And so it's called Recurve. And it's using all the research that I had prior to, in, 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 like in using a specific, uh, I'm using an old factor, I'm using a combination of three different. Um, carbohydrates and then a combination of some creatine, some protein, and then realizing the type of protein and why I'm using all these things, realizing that I'm making a better product that's going to be out there, that's going to be done correctly, and then and now, because I did all the stuff that I enjoyed, now it's paying off that, okay, I have all this knowledge, and I can, now now I need to learn how to, and how to sell it a lot easier and make it more simple, because now I have all this knowledge I can say, oh, this is what happens with the insulin and this is what happens with blood sugar and why this is working. People don't care. Does it taste yep. good? Does it look good? Can it market it well? Can I sell it? That's what matters, but I think my initial go-to was like, oh, I want to I want to work with like specific, I want to do with athletes, high elite level athletes. So that's yeah. what benefit the most from this. But I have to think about it. That elite level athlete is looking for reduced um, damage to the tissue, right? They want to be able to recover. And so the creatine has been shown a lot in ge- uh, geriatric populations to have a big benefit on preserving muscle tissue. Same thing with protein, and, you know, just a good overall healthy diet, right? So if I can take that and put it in a, a age category of like 30 to 60 and still have the same formula, it is the, it, it's going to, 
be a better representation on the market, right? Because the, the, the amount of time that I have a elite level athlete to buy the product is pretty low. I mean, it's not, they don't stay in the sports for very long, right? Versus have someone 30 to 60 that can go on this cycle for many, many years. Like it's it's going to be and infinitely beneficial for their for their tissue because we know that we usually see people who have broken hips later on into the future, and that's they, they get into the hospital, then they get meningitis, and then they end up like not being able to recover, and then they end up dying a couple years later, just because they didn't have the infrastructure, the body tissue to take care of the the joint. So then, if I can take care of the joint by giving them something that's going to just they, they can drink, enjoy, and walk away from, and I don't have to worry about how the creatine is being cycled, then. I make I can improve their quality of life without them ever knowing it, right? And, and or like them not realizing to the extent of what's happening, right? So I think that's how. So that's what I wanted, right? So I did all these little things in between because I thought I had to do that to get here. But in reality, I think I still needed to be in. I think maybe not need to be in school for it, but I think being in school gave me the opportunity to work in these specific labs, learn all these things to this to, to the detail that I did, and then and apply it. In a way that's going to be infinitely beneficial for a very large population. Yeah, I mean that's so your perspective. Okay, so I don't know how to put this. Your perspective, I call like the most genuine form of business, right? And and I've made a realization, and it's an un- I. I actually don't like it. Um, this realization is, is uh, yeah. Uh, okay, anyway, I'll just say it. Basically, you have the most genuine, actual want for people, right? But in business, you notice what sells. You notice what actually is, you know, a, a doing well from what we would call a business perspective, and you're like, man, why is some of the dumb stuff selling better than some of the genuine stuff? That's what I encountered with my, uh, um, what's it called, training as well. I noticed a lot of people going to a coach that would give a bunch of cookie cutter programs. And I was like, why do they keep going to him? Come to find out, he literally would just collect really high-level athletes. And there were a lot of people that were like, oh, he coaches a lot of high-level athletes. So I want to be coached by the same person that coaches the high-level athletes. And what we've come to realize, obviously, is that the high-level athletes are there for a reason, because they are high-level. <laughs> they were bound to do good anyway. And, and, then, and I hate saying that, but... This guy would actually make a business off of seeing these athletes, like people seeing these athletes get better. And they're like, all these young kids and all these people that are growing in the sport, they wanted to be coached by the person that coaches that guy. He coaches that guy, so he must know this. And 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 it, it was almost disingenuous in a sense. Uh, really irked me, honestly, but... Because it's not genuine, uh, and what happened was is you get a lot of you get a lot of coaches or you get a lot of people making products that are really good, but they never get out and they never reach the right people because there's always that person just doing something different, right? You put the filler in there, you put 
you look at a lot of these pre-workouts, they make three to four times the amount of, of what they're produced for. And all they have is a really shiny label. And, and, it, and, it, and it, it has like this propriety blend in it. And it's like, it sells because it's colorful and their favorite athlete is sponsored by it. But it's literally what happens. And so, uh, and I, I don't know how far in you are with all of the production of your stuff. Um, biggest thing that I've realized to reaching people is, is by literally actually reaching out to people, reaching out to higher level athletes saying, Hey, I have this sup. You have 50,000, uh, whatever followers or whatever. I need to reach people. I need to reach more people. There's, there's no way around it. I can have the best, most highest quality thing in the world in my belief. <laughs> And it won't get anywhere because nobody saw it. <laughs> and and that's what I realized, see, because I didn't want to just take high-level athletes and be like, hey, I'll coach you for free and then make like a business out of it. For me, my goal was just to take every single person and get them as good as they could on an individual basis and then not market any coaching. I didn't market anything. And I would let the success of my athletes do the marketing for me. That was my actual approach in my coaching business was I was like, I'm going to make these people as smart as possible. They're going to have really high lifter IQ. They're going to know a lot about things in general. What's going to happen is, is those people are going to have conversations with other people. And then there's going to be a pattern here. Who coaches that guy? Why is that guy so smart? Why is everybody that that guy coaches seem to have a head on his shoulders? Is it because they all had a head on their shoulders? Or is it because there's something moving that chain constantly, right? So I'm, I'm saying that's the approach that I took with my coaching, right? But say with a supplement, it's almost the same thing. The quality of it has to be seen by somebody in some way. It, 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 because as genuine as, as you want to be about it, if it's not seen, then, then we're all stuck. That's the problem with business. That's why I actually don't like, as weird as it sounds, I don't like a lot of the things that make business successful in this world. <laughs> I have problems with it because I like reaching to people. I like helping people. And then I come to the realization that the people that are making large sums of money are producing it for X amount and selling it for this amount. And then and just, they have an amazing marketing team. They have an amazing, it's not even the product. They have an amazing way to reach out to people. They, that, that's what it comes down to. So, so the only way uh, to, to strike the balance between the two is, is to understand what, creates a good business while still creating a product that is genuine. So it, it's hard. Most, most business people do not do it. They take the easy way out. So um, I'm just saying that <laughs> just an observation. Yeah, no, I think, you know, I've met with several investors now and all of them are like, you need to have people that can do yep. this. And like, there's people that, that I've been fortunate enough to be at the country club who are people who have done it, who have been successful. Uh, there you go. Yeah, I know. Uh, there it is. Yep. So I've talked to a lot of them. And, and the thing is, 
they all have somebody who's a representation of. You know, they have um, big names like Matt Frazier, right? And it's just like, we have him as a supporter of our company, and, and that's kind of what pushes the company. And you and so what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get into that space. And I don't necessarily know exactly how to do it because now I have to buy all this product when you have a certain like you need ten thousand units as a minimum. And so it's a, I mean it's a it's a big it's a big shot. And it's taking that leap, right? It's taking that jump, buying the ten thousand, sending them to a couple different athletes, and saying, "Hey, can you fuck?" If and I want it to be a genuine like. And this is actually really good shit because it is. It's it's good stuff. Like and and so I want it to be genuine from the individual taking it because if it's going to be consumed by a, a, a large amount of people, then like, I want it to be like understood that it is good quality and at the same time it's also well marketed. That's part of your risk. That MOQ called MOQ. It's basically the amount that you have to buy off the bat uh, in supplements. Um, and so basically. You have to buy a certain amount or it will or they, they don't let you buy it or it's not worth it for the manufacturer to actually manufacture it for you. Um, and, you know, in the past, what the way that, you know, I've done things is I've found smaller companies that will produce smaller quantities to where the overall cost is. The cost per unit is a little bit higher, but you only have to produce, say, 100 you know, and a hundred at X plus some, right, is still less than a thousand at this lower price. And, you know, like, that's what it comes down to. It also is like, you're talking about having people. So that's the biggest thing that you want to do whenever, uh, if any of your listeners are trying to get into business or things like that, it, it's, it's, it's about conversing with other people that also do business because you'd be very surprised what a conversation will do. You'll all of a sudden have a manufacturer for something and five minutes before you had no idea that that person even had a contact to that. Um, and you know, things like that. So, um, there's a lot of resources. There's so much that you just, you just got to reach out. Country club is a great, uh, place to do that because there are a lot of successful business people. I am sure in that. Um, unfortunately, it's hard to say, but uh, you don't get to exorbitant amounts of wealth with uh, two engineering degrees you, or so on and so forth. You get exorbitantly wealthy from business. Um, and yeah, I'm just saying, I'm just saying as a, as just a matter of fact, and I don't know, I've, I've, I'm definitely thinking that I've said some stuff over the last hour that some people might not like to hear. Um, my mom definitely would not like to hear that. Uh, she she worked uh, at Alcon Laboratories, which is uh, a place where they produce contact lens solutions and things like that. You've heard of Alcon, right? Classic. Not until today, but I don't understand what they're making. Like OptiFree Replenish. Yeah. Like, they make that. So she was research and development there for uh, almost 40 years. You know, and and basically, like, she always used to tell me, she always used to tell me, like, I make this much, but my boss, who is a quarter as smart as me, but just manages it, makes double of me. And I was like, funny how the world works, isn't it? And uh, <laughs> so that was one of the one of the realizations as a younger 
kid that I that I that I realized is that it's you can have the highest IQ of all time, and if you don't have people around you and you don't know how to converse your way into anything, then you will not get anywhere. Uh, or unless you get very very lucky, I, I will admit some people do run into great amounts of luck. Uh, I had a guy in college actually he. He had a job at he got a job at, at uh, Amazon. He was very smart. He was brilliant, uh, and he actually put since he was still living at home, <laughs> he put a hundred thousand of his his salary because uh, Amazon pays pretty good for those computer guys. He put a hundred thousand of his salary into Bitcoin before it got big, and he had like. 20 million, 200 million. I can't remember how many million he had overnight. Uh, and uh, sure. the dude, yes, the dude was totally just the last person you would think to make that lat- loose cannon decision, right? But he became very, very rich in a very, very small amount of time. Um, to finish that story, he uh, he actually had a, an addiction to some drugs before, and uh, he was going to these conventions and because he had been rich, he's rich now. He goes to these Bitcoin conventions where these people have gotten really rich, and then they decide what to do with their money and all sorts of things. Rich people gather with other rich people. We know this. Um, they 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 found him dead in his bathroom. Uh, heroin overdose not only a year after he had gotten so rich because an addiction you add money to an addiction all of a sudden money doesn't matter you have no purpose in life <laughs> you have nothing that drives you but drugs feel good <laughs> so um, moral to that story of course obviously is don't do drugs but um, yeah going back to that that's just it, life just throws a million things your way. And uh, I remember my last conversation with that guy. And uh, it's <laughs> not not the greatest. Uh, we'll, we'll put that, uh, hearing about that. So, but it is. It is very tough. But, um, yeah, there, there's, there's luck. Yeah, we will say that. There is luck, for sure. So, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to head out just here in just a couple minutes. And before... We, we call it, I want to ask you um, one thing that you've learned through your experience, anything, whatever you want to apply that to, however you want to phrase it. I mean, you, you've done a lot. I mean, business owner, entrepreneur, and lifter, and, and person. I mean, there's a lot There's a lot in there, right? There's, you've done a lot in your life. And so, I mean, just what is one thing that you've learned? Uh, just uh, one thing I've learned, or, or let's narrow it down a little bit, because there's, I'm learning every day. I could just, I could just say something that I learned five minutes ago or something. But uh, like, like, well, we're talking about what have I learned in the period of starting a business? What have I learned in uh, life? I want to do two. I want to do one through one through the gym and the one through growing the business. Okay, so well, the gym is a business. So, oh, you're talking about coaching or what? Okay. Like you lifting yourself, you you lifting yourself, you being in the gym yourself. What have you learned through your experience as being an athlete? Okay. Uh, well, as being an athlete, the biggest thing that I've learned is actually that there isn't a limit 
to anything that you can actually do in the gym. Um, there is simply just a way that you have not figured out yet. Um, and because in the pursuit of chasing a, a number, which is quite primitive, I've realized that there are millions of ways to do things. And if something is not going how it should, it is not that you are stuck. It is that there's something you missed or there's something that that you haven't come across uh, that that when you do or if you have that push or if you have that um, casual conversation with the guy that's been to the gym for 10 years, you might figure something out. Um, and, uh, that, that's one of the things that really has changed a lot for me is the fact that it is a ongoing movement, not a, this is set like this. And if I'm destined to stop here, it's because I was destined to be there. Um, so ongoing success is because of ongoing learning, essentially, uh, to, to put that shortly. Um, and what was the other one? <laughs> and being a business owner. Business owner. Uh, okay, so I guess um, biggest thing as a business owner is to pick good partners. That's number one. If you're going to go in with somebody, partners really matter. Um, and you'll make a decision that you think is really good. And it may or may not be good. You know, and it, it's almost a luck of a draw, but really pay attention to the partners you pick. Really pay attention to see how different they are from you and what things that they can help you with with the business. Because if you get too many people that are, say, for example, lifters, how are we going to get our legal work done? Things like that. Having partners that fill the gaps for you in business is one of the most important things of all time. I'm very fortunate that my two business partners, they both have lifting backgrounds, but one of them is extremely OCD and knows how to do a ton of legal stuff that I don't know how to do. One of them is a computer engineer. So he does all of our internet stuff and it's very easy for him to do. And then I guess I'm the in-person lifting guy because that comes very intuitively to me. So my partners are all doing the things that I don't want to do. <laughs> It's, it's, it's actually great. <laughs> um, and I'm sure they feel the same way about me because I literally go to the gym when they don't want to go. So <laughs> it all works out. Um, partnerships, extremely important. Uh, and, and they really can set the pace. Uh, and, and if you end up running into something down the line where you have a conflict of interest, you end up having to buy that person out. Or you might end up having to do something about it, you know, but at bare minimum, you're going to suffer for a little bit because you didn't pick a good partner. Um, so that, that's one thing. The, the other thing that I would say is to really, really, really think about what is the future of what you're trying to do. Um, and you don't have to see it being a massive thing, but you have to at least have some foresight to it. Because I, I know a lot of people that they go into business with things that they really like to do, but they're not extremely good at it, for example. And what happens is they get two years down the line and they're like, my business isn't growing. And it's like a lot of the times the reason why businesses don't grow is because 
if you don't continue to learn inside of it or you don't continue to get to a higher level inside of it, then it can't grow. Like, you don't have an opportunity. Um, so doing that, getting with other business, uh, people that do business that think the same as you, extremely important. Um, it really makes things easier, I would say. Because business is not hard. It's 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 more about knowing what to put at the right time at the right place and then knowing how to offer value to people that need it. So a lot of that stuff is, is not difficult, but putting the resources together requires more than just yourself. So that's why partners are important to me. Um, that's why a lot of that stuff is important. So I could go on forever. I'll be honest. I, <laughs> but you said two things. So I like it. And so again, thank you for coming on today and, I appreciate your time and on the conversation. It really just quality, quality conversation. You're a quality dude. It was nice to actually get to meet you. I think more, more intimately, more seriously. Like actually build a relationship and not just sit at a desk and stare at nothingness and talk for a couple hours. But like actually get to know who you are. And so it was. It's really cool, man. I think you're a cool dude. I think you're going to do big things. It's it's really nice. Yeah, I, I, I hope I can do big things. Uh, we'll see. But um, you want to plug your, where can people get coaching from you? Can can you get like are you taking new clients? Is that something you do? Uh, that's hard. I at this point I have I have an amount of clients that almost to a certain extent is I wouldn't say it's a cap, but what it what it causes is it causes me to really pay attention to the athletes that I get now because. I kind of know the amount of effort that I'm going to put into this. And if there's, say if I had five people, right, I would take a risk to say, okay, I don't know how much trouble this is going to be. I'm going to put in 100% effort because I always put 100% effort and we're going to make the best of this. Whereas now at the point that I'm at, I'm almost at the point where I'll actually try and almost interview you for like 30 minutes just to make sure that, you know, I'm not going to run around like a chicken with my head cut off or that you're going to skip a workout because I, you know, like stuff like that, just stuff. I, the standard has gone up a little bit, uh, by a little bit. I mean, just like if you have a recommendation from one of my current athletes, then you're almost in like 98% of the time. Like if someone's like, Hey man, my friend really likes how I'm doing and he wants a piece of that. I'm like, okay, I, definitely let's get a piece of that <laughs> but but if, it, if it's like more of a random occurrence or things like that i i'm a little bit more on guard than i used to be because i've been in situations that uh i don't know you put in a lot of time and, and you know it, it it feels bad it feels bad later it feels bad <laughs> yeah the relationship can deteriorate and then you you just don't end up helping each other as much as you could. So, <laughs> but go to your gym. What's your gym's name? Jim uh, is Progressive Overload Dallas. It's located in Garland. It's Richardson in Garland. It's not deep into Garland, um, but that's basically North Dallas. So, if you're in the North Dallas area, you're interested in powerlifting, or you know, just interested in learning what lifting is. I guess you'd be surprised. Uh, then my place is the place for you. If you like machines, if you like uh, isolations, if you like bodybuilding, if you like doing that sort of stuff, my environment's definitely not for you. 
Um, yeah, it, it just isn't. <laughs> um, most of the people that go to my gym, they're all uh, natural powerlifters. Uh, they, they really like the environment that they're in. And I like the fact that I have those type of people in there. So uh, I almost deter certain people from coming in because I'm like, dude, you just won't like it. Like, I promise you, like, like you'll pay all these fees to, to get into a membership and, and you won't even like it in two months. <laughs> dude, I can tell like, you can just tell. And it's not even trying to be like, no, don't come. It's just, it's me being like, are you sure this is right for you? Um, because my gym is a very specific type of training. We have, more kilos and we have pound plates and, and we have all these specialty bars lying around and it's like, yeah, we're 24 seven. So that's convenient for you, but are you sure you're really going to like it? So that, that to me matters more reaching the right people is what matters to me more. Um, don't, don't need like your, don't need you to sign up so that you cancel in two months. It's just not it's more trouble on me of anything to, to cancel all your stuff. <laughs> so, I, I, I value just people knowing what they want. And I, and when they come to a gym, like it only happens one of two ways. They look in there and they're like, it's small. I'm like, okay, you know, this, this might not be it. Uh, or they walk in, they see all the kilos, they see all the lifters that they see on Instagram just in one space. And they're like, that's it. This is the, this is the best place to be. I'm so excited to work in with this person and learn about this and see this person lift this and figure out how this works because I have so many questions. That's what always happens. Um, and, and I like that. That's what I like. You know, I, I want to fit. I'm all about the fit. You know, if you, if you fit, uh, I, the, the gym is only 3,000 3, square feet. If you don't like it, you're going to get real uncomfortable real fast. <laughs> so, um, that's just kind of what it is. Uh, uh, I'm going to lift with you Def, yeah. If you if you do come up to Dallas, uh, let me know. We can, we're gonna always get a lift in and whatnot, and uh, and maybe in another podcast if you want, we can talk. A I well, I want to know more about you in general. I I feel like I talked a lot about me, but it's it's because it's your podcast. But <laughs> like, I wanted to have uh, yeah, just more conversation um, because you you're going through a period of 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 change that I believe is so crucial. Uh, in just in your life, like I, I, I know it. Like I, uh, like I, I went through. I literally like went through that, and it's it's a very interesting process. And and I don't know. It might help to have somebody that went through that process as well. Um, just in general, put things in perspective. Uh, I know I would have liked it, <laughs> but I sort of treaded that one alone. Uh. So, I mean, there's no, there's no, there's nothing wrong with another episode before I get up to Dallas. Yeah, I mean, I'm down, I'm down for whatever. You could even, you could put a, put a Q and A section, you know, say, hey, what do you guys want to do? You know, what do you guys want to talk about? What's David's biggest insecurity? Whatever. <laughs> I would, you'd be surprised. Um, yeah, down for whatever. Just down to, down to just shoot it. It's a soft conversation. I'm going to end the recording. I'm going to talk to you just real quick after this. After I close it off. Is that cool? All right. All right. That's good. All right. Thank you all for joining. Appreciate you all. Thanks, David. Later.
Thank you for listening to the Ben Navarro's podcast. Check us out on iTunes, Spotify, and all other major podcast hosting platforms. Be sure to leave us a five-star review on iTunes.